2: Ho, ho, Merry Christmas and welcome to this extra special festive edition of Caged In Presents Copla Connections. As always, brought to you by the Breadcrumbs Collective and hosted by me, Petros Patsillibus. And our festive treat under the tree this week is the 2019 Netflix Animation Klaus or oh, but if you're new to this podcast and don't know what we do here, we watch every single film in the collective cobal of filmography to determine are they the greatest film family of all time? This week I'm joined by Russell Bailey of the Amazing Not Just For Kids podcast, but more on that in a few moments. Obviously, we will be uh, rifling through all the presents in this. We'll be checking the naughty and the nice list in regards to the spoilers. So if you haven't seen this film, head on over to Netflix to watch it now. So I guess all that's left to do on your father's behest is to head to a tiny, small town that is riddled with a gangland war that has raged on for centuries. Befriend an old man who lives in the mountains who makes these beautiful, lovely, little wooden toys and persuade him to join in your plan as you try and deliver 6,000 letters in one year. And in the process, create the legend that is Santa Claus as we make some copula connections. As the festive season is upon us, it's time to head to Smyrensburg. To try not to get caught. <laughs> in a war of two feuding families whilst befriending a lone woodsman from the mountains as we talk 2019's klaus directed by sergio pablos and <laughs> carlos martinez lopez written by sergio pablos jim mahoney and zach lewis and features a stellar voice cast including jk simmons receded jones will sasso joan cusack the late great norm Macdonald, and today's christmassy coppola connection Jason Schwartzman. The postman sent on this assignment to see if this film delivers is the host of the always enjoyable Not Just For Kids podcast, Russell Bailey. Merry Christmas, Russ. Come join me by the fire. It's a pleasure to have you here. How are you?
3: I'm all right. And Merry Christmas to you too. I'm very excited to be on to talk about this particular film. Uh, But yeah, it's lovely to be here to chat about this film around Christmas because... We're so close to Christmas, I'm getting excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so
2: yeah, I I probably left this a bit late. I've kind of, I've been listening <laughs> to your podcast recently and you're, I think you said like it's a month before Christmas and you're recording an episode and I was like, <laughs> it, it really made me think, oh man, I need to get a better at scheduling things instead of being like a week, two weeks <laughs> out from when the episodes go out. But uh, before we get to talking about the Coppola family in this film, um. Tell us a little bit about uh, Not Just For Kids. What, what, what's it about? What do you do over there on that podcast?
3: So uh, Not Just For Kids is, uh, and I've, I've tweaked it slightly in how I describe it now, so it's about family films and the films you grew up with. So it basically means that I can talk about animation, like today's film, and uh, like classic family films like Free Willy or uh, Babe. Those are two of those we've discussed recently. And I can also cheekily talk about things like Terminator 2, and South Park the movie and Austin Powers which are not family films but also films that I watched when I was very young and and shaped me so yeah so it's just basically it, during the first lockdown I found myself going crazy because <laughs> I was furloughed and at home with my kids and nowhere to go and I'd had this idea the October before to do a podcast about family films because I'm a father of two and uh yeah I um I'm a father of two and when you're a father you watch a lot of family films you watch a lot of these both films you loved and films that are new and so I did this podcast I did a series about this 10 years of animation between Toy Story and Home on the Range because I kind of had this narrative of western animation where it was um, the birth of 3D CGI animation leading to the death of traditional 2D animation at Disney because It was like the success of Pixar and DreamWorks Mm -hmm. that kind of led to um, Disney stop making 2D animation, which I think is a great tragedy because many of the great films by Disney are 2D animation, but Home on the Range is not one of them. (laughs) And several of those films of the era are not. And yeah, and I just, I had really fun in my first series and it became something that I kept doing. So like I've done Spielberg films because I looked at his career and he's got so many films he's directed and produced that are family films and, so, like, you know, Gremlins for this time, but also Jaws, Jurassic Park, uh, the Indiana Jones films, Back to the Future. So many of these films are his, or he's, like, worked on them and is affiliated with them. Then I did Judy Ghibli, which you came on for. You came and did uh, <laughs> Pom Poco, which I wasn't going to cover because I didn't quite know how to fit in the giant testicled uh, <laughs> raccoon film. But I did, and it was great fun. And I've recently done... 90s so i did like 22 23 episodes on the 90s and Amazing. covered like the stars of the 90s and certain trends so th- there was like a couple of episodes about about um animal films so like mm-hmm. a lot of films about talking animals were in the 90s because it's kind of like the birth of cgi meant that we could have talking animals and it's one of our great uh developments of the 90s and next up so right now i'm doing christmas films because I love Christmas. So. <laughs> me too, man. <laughs> I've covered some great Christmas films. And next up, after I do a little thing in January, we're going to do musicals. I'm going to dive into musicals. I'm going to wallow in some great films of the 40s, 50s, and 60s and go all the way up to The Greatest Showman, which I mean, I'm not a fan of, but I've found someone who is. So yeah, they're going to come on and talk to me about The Greatest Showman. Yeah, it feels that's like, what I do.
2: It feels like a perfect time to be talking about musicals, because it feels like sort of 2021 has kind of been this like, rebirth of the musical right in the heights yeah. tick tick boom and west side story it really is this kind of like wow like it feels like we've almost like gone back near on 100 years or something do you know what i mean it's like history really does repeat itself uh one of the things i wanted to ask you regarding like being a father and like uh watching like family films and stuff like that do you give yourself over to like new stuff or do you battle with that because i i sometimes battle with that thing of not being like with anything i'm into like i know there's like books as well i know there's so many books that i read as a kid and it's like i i I often worry like oh am i just trying to force feed my my kid the things that i enjoyed as a kid or or or, yeah and how do you how do you kind of uh, embrace new films with your family are you for that or are you kind of finding a healthy balance between the two
3: so um i'll show my kids all the stuff that i loved my daughter was watching jurassic park when she was two or three because it's <laughs> my favorite film ever made and and i showed it to her uh, she loves home alone one and two which we've watched recently like this week uh yeah so there are lots of films that I grew up with that uh, I make a watch like The Rescuers Down Under which is one of my favorite Disneys and mm-hmm. and stuff like that but when it comes to modern family films not the live action stuff live action stuff still tends to be pretty uh, ropey at times like I think the stuff I love in the 90s is cuz I grew up on it not because I think they're great films so like uh I know Mrs Doubtfire has a lot of fans but I watched it and I was like this film is just okay and <laughs> hasn't aged as well as I'd like it to but like animation in the last 10, 15 years or so has just been pretty phenomenal. And the film we're talking about today is very much a part of that, like this movement of stuff quite separate from Disney and Pixar and DreamWorks, these smaller studios, the the likes of Netflix being able to fund Mm -hmm. these uh, animations. So like, Last year, we watched me and my daughter watch Wolfwalkers as part of the London Film Festival online, and, and it was this wonderful moment to be sat next to her watching this cartoon saloon. And we watched other cartoon saloons because of it. Um, she watches Ghibli with me, and that's like some of their stuff is incredible. Not the last film they did; the last film they did was not was 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 weak, but there are some <laughs> great Ghiblis in there. Um, yeah, and there's this amazing animation that Netflix put out. Well, actually, there's two. So one is the Mitchells versus the Machines, which is a Sony animation, but Netflix bought it and distributed it, and it's it's It's... my favorite film of the year. It's gorgeous. It mixes 3D and 2D animation. It's funny, and it's also kind of quite meaningful in some of the stuff it does with its characters. So Hmm. that's a good one. And then there's this TV show called Maya and the Free, which is this. I forget the name of the director. They did the Book of Life a couple of years ago, which is another great animation, but he um, it's this nine part TV show that's basically this epic story that's telling about this uh, princess going off to find these fellow warriors to go off and essentially kill a god because the god wants to kill her. And it's like <laughs> big and epic and there's death and it's all this other stuff. And my daughter has watched it six or seven times now. She like will start it, watch it, start it. Watch it, and she, she's in this loop fairly often. She'll sometimes break out and watch Spirit, which is is not great. It's not one of the great mm-hmm. animations of the last ten years. She loves the Spirit TV show. We went and watched the Spirit film that came out this year. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... I love Jake Gyllenhaal, but it was a test. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, this this TV show she loves. It's gorgeous. It plays with its format. It's it deals with death and life and. It doesn't have a super happy ending. It has an ending that's quite bittersweet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that there's a lot of stuff from my childhood, from when I was growing up, that I show her. But also, I think we're quite lucky that a lot of the animation right now is is exceptional. Like some Disney stuff's good. Pixar can bring out some great stuff. Although Soul was a it's not difficult a one film. to explain. It's not because no, we we like, watched uh, it last Christmas and I, <laughs> we're trying to explain that to a small child when I myself was trying to understand what I was actually watching. Yeah. Um, I, I was watching,
2: yeah. I watched that with my, I watched that with my parents. Like, do you know what I mean? And we, we just about like, we just about got, got it like on the kind of like spiritual and like, kind of like meta, <laughs> meta textual levels. It's kind of in the, 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 the themes that it's dealing with. It's like, it's an, it's an animation for adults. I don't feel like that one, yeah. that, that one's like almost not for kids or at least, I don't know. I feel like, they tackle that idea of death a lot better with something like um uh oh, why is it why is it escaping me right now uh it's not the book of life it is what was the uh pixar animation of oh, coco yeah okay yeah, yeah yeah which is like has lots in there it has at least it has like these kind of vibrant colors and kind of like do you know what i mean action sequences yeah. where it's like so I don't know it kind of looks uh, it has like it looks like a, an apple interface almost like for most <laughs> of it and it's kind of got this like clinical look to it and like the, mm. the, the messages and meanings like I don't know and like
3: because it's from the director of Inside Out and Inside Out I've watched several times my daughter she quite likes it because the main film is bright and colourful and has this like adventure storyline going through it and then along with that it's about a young girl coming to terms with the complexity of her emotions and there I am crying at the end when she's saying she can't be happy because you kind of flash back to the point when you realize that you're not always going to be happy and it's a really sad moment that everyone goes through yeah my daughter never quite understands why I'm crying at that point she kind of looks up and goes I'm being a bit weird and keeps watching this bright colorful film whereas soul didn't have that kind of um attachment between it's like bright and colorful stuff so like the cat stuff where the guy and the where the two souls go into the bodies and they have a body swap situation she loved that bit yeah yeah, yeah. but it's it's just one segment and it doesn't have this kind of like a connected story going through that that a child who's five can be like i'm into this level (laughs) a lot of it is like for us and it's going like you know, maybe you shouldn't just obsess about this one thing all the time. And a kid's not going to care about that. Whereas I'm like, oh God, what? Yeah. I've been into films for all my life. What does that mean?
2: <laughs> yeah, it, uh, I, I guess I want to like pivot the conversation to talk about like cr- Christmas films. And the first thing I wanted to ask you is, what, when is it acceptable to start watching Christmas films? Do you do you have a role in your household? Is it like this date? It's okay to to flick on a Christmas film, or is it kind of? Or are you kind of freewheeling? If if the mood takes you, you're watching whatever you want.
3: So I, um, it's sort of lucky in that my birthday is in the middle of November, so I have a concrete date when I'm like I don't want to do anything Christmassy until this point, <laughs> and then after that point, go nuts, go wild, and like this time, like as you said, like I so I recorded my Christmas episodes at the end of November and the beginning of December, which was lucky because I. I I got COVID after I recorded them. So if if I'd waited and I'd done it, I wouldn't be doing Christmas specials. I'd be like having a quiet couple of weeks and not putting anything out. But yeah. Um, So I have this clear date in November, but there are certain films that I watch at Christmas that I'll watch other times of the year. So like Die Hard is a film that I love any time of the year and I will watch at Christmas because it is a Christmas film to me. Uh, Batman Returns is my favorite Batman film and my favorite Christmas film. And but I've watched like two or three times already this year and I'm going to watch it again in the next couple of weeks because I adore what it does uh, yes there'll be certain films that I can watch but then like the Home Alones, the Klaus's the, uh, the Muppets Christmas carols will kind of be brought out from the middle of November onwards and some of them like It's a Wonderful Life I'll try and keep to quite close to Christmas mm-hmm. because uh makes me cry and uh it's, it I, I think it's one of those Christmas films I've just got to watch once and get it into my soul, yeah, and then I'm okay for another couple of months
2: so i've ne- i like I've never watched it's a wonderful life, and I think like this year is the year and uh, much to my shame uh, uh, those those of you who might follow me on Twitter would have seen I tried to watch a Christmas film this past weekend, uh, which would have been like the what eleventh and twelfth of December tried to watch a Muppets Christmas Carol with my son whose reaction to it was, I never want to watch this. Turn it off. Uh, which like, might like might be down to the fact that he doesn't quite understand the use of the word never. Because anytime I try to put a <laughs> jumper on him, he says, I never want it on. And it's like, I think what you mean, buddy, is I don't want it on.
3: So, if like... he's saying every time, he does mean he never wants a jumper on. If it's every time he's saying, <laughs> uh, he's just reiterating his point previously was like, I state it at this point. I'm going to state it again until he get it. No jumpers.
2: Yeah, maybe maybe I'm a terrible dad, just forcing jumpers <laughs> on my son in winter. Uh, I really need to reassess some, a, a few things. Uh,
3: but maybe he needs to feel the cold, and then you know he'll like understand the importance of a jumper.
2: Yeah, tough. Yeah, maybe that's what i do. I'll stick him out in the garden when it's snowing. Be like a... <laughs> where's your jump dangling a jumper at the window going on oh, and just
3: wear all your jumpers and be really puffed up and be like i've got all my jumpers i'm really warm
2: it's here if you want it buddy it's here if you want it you just got to come inside and ask for the jumper yeah maybe maybe that's what i do some tough parenting thanks thanks for the advice <laughs> um so yeah klaus is the first like christmas film i've watched this year much to my like, sugar and i've got like a kind of a list that i want to get through like I'm, I'm i'm a massive home alone fan i recently bought some home alone trainers which uh i think uh i don't know probably a man of 30 shouldn't be buying <laughs> i don't know but i think they're subtle enough that uh that i can get away with them and they're they're comfy so as a dad that's quite
3: important to me now um so before um, on the home alone front can i just say don't watch the new one. Oh, I, I have no intention home to. sweet home alone i've watched like we've tried to watch it twice we got 20 minutes in the first time we watched another 20 minutes and i, I looked over to my daughter and she has never looked less infused with a film and i said should we watch something else and she said yeah it's yeah, a fundamental waste of talent in a way that is impressive
2: yeah I, I i think so i there's a great podcast called the bitter end who take franchises and kind of watch them to their bitter end and they did a season on uh home alone like a few years ago and they i think i was i was watching along and uh, like the first three are kind of ingrained in my brain anyway like i think yeah being born in 1991 i kind of like Fell into that catchment age where like free is passable, and I kind of explained it to myself in later life as well. It's like, oh well, like John Hughes still had some involvement in that film. I think like <laughs> he wrote, he might have like written the story or something like that. So like he's kind of like he's got a foot in the door, like, and it's 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 got some good pratfalls and stuff like that, and a very early Scarlett Johansson performance. And despite the kid not actually being home alone, it's just he's off sick. And there are moments where his parents aren't at home because they're at work. Uh, but like, yeah, uh, when it came to, I, I, so I decided to watch number four and I think had a similar experience to what you're describing for the new one where like not even 20 minutes, I think 10 minutes. I was like, this feels <laughs> gross. Like this feels <laughs> gross. And I think that one as well is like, it's supposed to be Kevin McAllister as well. And it's like i don't I don't think so, buddy <laughs> um, so let's talk about the Coppola family and as it's christmas uh i wanted to, yeah I wanted to ask you about what 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 do you think that a Coppola family Christmas is like Russ
3: oh uh so I think as we have a lot of christmas family it's gonna be quite big um it's definitely a wine field affair given you know what his kind of other avenue has been i think there's gonna be a lot of wine uh i think the secret center will be incredible i think you get like <laughs> some of the most incredible gifts like some rare never before seen stuff is in there and i think they'll have a talent show i think they'll have this like amazing talent show where everyone has to come and do a bit and if it was televised it would get great viewing figures uh, and what? of course as with All extended families, there's an underlying tension. Maybe not, you know, succession levels of tension in the (laughs) family, but um, I think it's a tense affair. I I think yeah, there's going to be some tension in there. Yeah, I I think the boyfriends and girlfriends who are fleeting parts of the family will uh, add (laughs) flavours.
2: I I, I think to your point of like the talent show, that's a that's a really good point to bring up because I know that when uh, all of the kids were young, like so Sophia Roman. Uh, Jason was involved Francis Ford Coppola would get them to kind of write like one act plays or like kind of adapt (laughs) to one act play and then over the weekend they'd kind of have like theatre camp almost and then like they would have a few days to prepare it like kind of get it it ready and then would uh, like perform it and there's a great story of Jason Schwartzman. like he kind of adapted like a Tennessee Williams play or something (laughs) like that kind of made it like this like or tennessee williams-esque play about these like two men in a bar and it's like you knew he was destined at that moment to play max fisher for one and then like you kind of like you knew he was destined to become this kind of like i don't know eccentric but great like kind of comedic actor who kind of like yeah get, like it kind of te- tears through films like he's he's got an amazingly long filmography for somebody who's only been doing it since 1998 or something like that um i d- yeah and i definitely agree with you that there definitely will be i reckon there'd be some tensions uh around that table <laughs> um i didn't send you this but is there anything like from a i don't know any film that any of the coplas have been in like uh what would be your ultimate gift from one of them like would there be like a kind of like uh, movie prop or something like that that you would love to own
3: russ oh what would i love to own um i mean some of the stuff that gets worn in Bram stoker's dracula is just beautiful some of those outfits are phenomenal i'd love to dress like gary oldman in that film i mean i couldn't put off like gary oldman can pull off in that film uh Maybe the whiskey, maybe the whiskey that he sells in Lost in Translation would be a nice thing to have in the cabinet. I mean, oh, I don't know definitely. if it's good whiskey, but it's it's it would just be like. And this is the whiskey from Lost in Translation. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Ah. Yeah. So I think it's the clothes from uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula or the whiskey from Lost in Translation because and at one I could look fabulous as I go around like Tesco's or Asda <laughs> trying to do a shop. I'll just look resplendent in what Gary Oldman wears in that film. I
2: I I have an image of you now drinking whiskey by the fire on Christmas, uh, wearing that red kind of armor that that that, yeah. that Gary Holtman wears, and that that kind of weird like
3: flesh. Do <laughs> yeah.
2: you, know, you know what I'm talking about? Like the kind of absolutely flesh looking armor. I think that would be a a perfect a perfect <laughs> look for us. Uh, yeah, I might have to do a really bad Photoshop job of that. <laughs> Uh, put it put it on the socials uh so what do you reckon like the 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 table setup is like who's sitting where is there kind of like i don't know is it a big long table is it more of like a kind of spread out affair is there a kid's table is there like an is there like an a b c take do you know what i mean like if you've got an oscar you can sit at the top table
3: i i think there's a top table i think that the talent the ones that have been like you know you, you've got your francis you got your Sophia. Probably Nick, Nick is up there because you know he's he's a pretty on a good day, a phenomenal actor, and Touchwood will be Oscar nominated again in about a month's time whenever the Oscars come out. Mm-hmm. the nominations uh, yeah, no I, so I think there's a top table. I think then there's like uh, the rest, and the rest are like on tables like at a wedding, and I think it's like mostly family stuff with like you know a kid's table is pushed out on the other end, but it's mostly going to be the families, the family units are going to be there, but the top tier the creme de la creme of the Coppola family are up there at the top mm-hmm. and each get to make speeches like a wedding. Like They get <laughs> to make a speech about Christmas and each one has a different flavor. I'm assuming Sophia is quite different from her father and I think that uh, Nicolas Cage's one would be a sight to behold.
2: Uh, yeah, Nicolas Cage's one would probably be like a, he, he'd have an extract from an Edgar Allan Poe poem or something like that. <laughs> and Like somehow like the <laughs> the broken heart of man. Like, t- tells us about at Christmas time that we must respect the crows, but we must also respect the land and the family. And yeah, you can imagine Nicolas yeah. Cage going yeah. on some kind of soliloquy like that, some real uh, some real off-the-wall shit. And then I find it interesting with Francis Ford Coppola in the fact that uh, obviously he has a winery and you, you kind of look at his children and... So his niece, Gia Coppola, has a wine. Sophia Coppola has a wine. And then there's Roman, who doesn't have a wine. So I always have this image. It's totally fictional, I think, in my head. But I feel like Roman Coppola is, like, relegated to the kids' table at any function. Do you (laughs) know what I mean? He's kind of like... Where's your
3: Oscar, Roman? Do
2: you know what I mean? Like, what, what, like, what are you he's doing? He's there by that?
3: the air conditioning unit. and He's got that loud rattle of the air conditioning <laughs> unit that's like ruining his meal.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he goes up to speak to his dad and he kind of like shoes him off like he's one of the hired help back to the kitchen to get him more <laughs> bread rolls or something. Um, so what do you think the coplers are eating at Christmas? Are they, are they traditional? Are they keeping it Italian? Is there pasta involved? Or is it turkey or the trimmings?
3: Uh, I think it's probably Turkey with all the trimmings. I mean, in my head, I've now got the, uh, we watched the Vicar of Dibley Christmas special with the multiple Christmas meals last night, because it's a great comfort watch. And there's one where they've got like a pasta course. So maybe there's a pasta course, maybe there's a fish course, but there's definitely got to be Turkey. Mm -hmm. And of course there's the family wine, you know, Mm -hmm. there's definitely going to be bottles of the family wine and a lot of wine will be drunk. But yeah, I think it's going to be turkey because you know, it's Christmas.
2: Yeah, I, I, I reckon there'll definitely be like a light pasta dish, you know, like these kind of like nice ones where it's just like a kind of spaghetti or a tagliatelle with like a nice olive oil and some kind of herbs yeah. involved. Oh, yes. Oh, it's getting me hungry. Uh, <laughs> so you're invited to this meal, by the way, Russ. Um, who's, the, who's the main person you would love to sit next to at the Coppola family Christmas?
3: Now, I mean, I would love to pick someone like Sophia or Francis or any of the other ones, but I'm going to pick Gia because I want to wrangle Andrew Garfield's number so (laughs) that I can then gush to him about his film. So it's it's purely opportunistic on my part. I'll talk to her. I'll wallow in her strange films and and all that stuff. But really, I want to talk to Andrew Garfield because, I mean, like I just want to talk to him about the films he's made. He seems like a lovely guy. Yeah. So that's what I'd be doing. I'd be, like, be buttering her up to get Andrew's number just so I can have a chat with him. Maybe invite him onto the podcast so we can talk about his experience in Spider-Man because, <laughs> I mean, those films are interesting. Yeah, um, but I... yeah, that's that's my pick.
2: I was thinking recently, I was like, oh, so like, uh, like, I always have like pie-hide ideas of like, oh, it would be amazing to interview this person, like interview like big names and stuff. Like that. I'm like, oh, but I'd have to do it with a reason for the podcast. I was like, <laughs> oh, Andrew Garfield, I've got two. He's in The Amazing yeah. Spider-Man, which is like uh, DOP'd by John Swartzman and is in Mainstream, which obviously directed by Gia And It's like, yeah. yeah, I think I'd like to speak to him most to just to hear which accent he gives. Do you know what I mean? Because he's kind of got this <laughs> transatlantic, like sometimes when he's in American interviews, it's a lot more... Americanized when he's in like British interviews, he's all of a sudden like starts calling people mate and like like starts, I mean like dropping dropping words and not speaking so proper and
3: stuff like that. Um, And like because I don't love him, if he is not lovely, if he is a bit of a bit rude, a bit of an asshole, I'll be fine because you know (laughs) he is my least favorite. It I love him as Spider-Man his films aren't aren't. I don't ever watch them because. No, but uh, I just kind of want to talk to him about like something like into the under the silver lake, which I mean, I hated the first act. Then like sort of it was so long that I end up loving it. Or like tick tick boom, where his performance is incredible and and yeah, yeah, I think he's a really talented performer. But if he turns out to not be a nice guy, I'm like oh, it's not in the world. It's fine. <laughs> like, I had a thing I fancied Army Hammer for a very long time. He was like my man crash and then it came out that you know he's. Really weird. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, yeah, "Oh yeah, yeah. no!" And yeah. I had to mourn that this year the loss of yeah. my man crush, and then pivot hard and Henry Carville because you,
2: know. <laughs> you need you need some some muscle bound <laughs> hunk in your life, definitely. You need a um, man who's
3: good in a suit.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. So oh, yeah, I definitely wouldn't be your man, Russ. Sorry to disappoint <laughs> you. Uh, so at this Christmas meal, um, they're doing Secret Santa, and you've got jason schwartzman as your pick who who would have thought it we're talking about a jason schwartzman film and who's the person you picked out of that hat what would you buy jason schwartzman
3: as a christmas present russ it's a tough one i assume he's a cinephile i assume he loves films uh so i would either get him the bong joon ho box set that came out this year that i i haven't got myself but would dearly love it So there's all of bong joon ho's films bar, bar Okja, because uh <laughs> auction doesn't get a, a release sadly or i'd give him a copy of my favorite film of the year which is the mitchell's vs. the machines one of those two like i i think that the greatest gift you can give someone is a dvd or a blu-ray myself as a, as a lover of physical media mm-hmm. that's what i'd give him or i would give him so i've got a friend gave me and it's a really random gift to give him but i give it because i love it it's the the I've got this poster of a front cover of a newspaper from Batman Returns Mm -hmm. of like the penguin saying he's found his parents. I give him that because I think it's a really great poster, but um, I think he'd be like, Oh, that's a pretty neat film. Thank you. Whereas I think the other ones are more just like, these are great films. Watch them.
2: That's that. that, That's perfect. Yeah. I don't know what I would get. Jason Schwartzman. he, He seems like a man who kind of probably has everything probably into, into weird things. I think I heard him on an interview Saying like he he's really into like model building and like origami and stuff like that. He kind of like picks up little little hobbies and then kind of drops them. So I don't know. Maybe I'd buy him like a ship in a bottle. Maybe like maybe that that could be his spark a new a new thing for him. I imagine he's got a kind of. Uh, yeah when it when it came to designing the, the interiors of his house he called up his buddy Wes Anderson to be like how do I get this to look aesthetically pleasing and uh and, and Wes came over and said well, what you gotta do is like uh I'll, I'll bring around a mirror so everything's symmetrical and uh, I'll show you how it's done um so we've talked about Christmas with the coplers, but I want to know how did you first become aware of them as this massive film family there might have been like what was your entry point? Was there a person and when did you kind of figure out though? whoa, there's more of them?
3: I, I guess it's mostly osmosis in its own way that because I read Empire and Total Film and I have read those since I was sort of 12 or 13, they kind of will mention the Coppola family fairly often or they'll talk about films they've made or they're like, like I knew that The Godfather was a masterpiece long before I watched it and I knew that Coppola had this run of films in the 70s and 80s that were masterpieces long before I saw any of them. In fact, my entry point to his work is Bram Stoker's Dracula, which I definitely watched when I was like 12 or 13. My dad definitely lent me a copy of it and was like, <laughs> you'll like this. Film. My dad used to do that with films. He'd watch them and then be like, this, this is a film you should watch. They so would give me like, you know, Alien or Event Horizon or uh, The Thing or something like that. And it definitely would have given me Bram Stoker's Dracula because it's, you know, great fun. And it's big and colourful and gothic and weird, and there's yeah weird energy to it. He loves films with weird energy, so I think I saw that before I saw The Godfather's, before I saw any of the more you know classic uh, Francis Ford films. Uh, and we studied um, Sophia Coppola at university fairly early on, so I did film and literature at university, and one of our first films was Lost in Translation, which I'd watched before. Um, yeah, I'd watched it before. Uh, but struggled with, and then we had to watch it twice apart from this course. I still have never really fallen in love with that film, but I got more out of it when I was studying it because you kind of get the beauty of the the piece, but the piece still doesn't do it for me. So it's probably, yeah, probably reading Empire and Total Film, they would definitely have mentioned the Coppola's, and then you start to understand there are other family members involved. So like, you know, Jason's name will pop up or... um, And then, obviously, with Nicolas Cage, I mean, he was probably a fixture of my teenagehood because of, like, Face Off, Con Air, and The Rock. I definitely watched those as a teenager a lot. Uh, Yeah, those those kind of, those are the films that I I would have watched as a teenager and been like, yeah, this is amazing! Cinema! I'm like... But yeah, so it's 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 got to be Empire and total film and it's got to be like Bram Stoker's Dracula. It's got to be my entry points in this family. So, and the rest of the time, it's just, it kind of it kinda builds up and up and up. And then you asked me to come on and I looked at the family tree you gave me. And, oh, it's actually incredibly complicated. And there's a lot of names on there that, yeah. you know, I hadn't thought about, like Spike Jones, who you phenomenal director. Um, Henry Twig, that he was, it was linked. And then it's things like the, composers and the directors of photographies that are all linked in everything that it links in is really interesting. But yeah.
2: Yeah, I think that uh, that thing of Spike Jones is really interesting, especially in relation to Lost in Translation. Cause if you kind of look at that in the chronology of uh Sophia Coppola's life, it's you can you can cherry pick that Lost in Translation is somewhat about Spike Jones and somewhat I think possibly about Quentin Tarantino because they were kind of like the two people that yeah. That that she had dated before, uh, yeah, before, 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 yeah, yeah, the two people before she dated before making that film.
3: So I guess like, does that mean you get to talk about Tarantino? Um, Actually, no, because like, not... he
2: was, he wasn't married. So Spike okay, Jones, that's, that's, Spike, the, that's the Spike Jones was like, as we're talking about Christmas, he he definitely would have spent a couple of Christmases, I guess, at the Coppola family estate. That's why I'm only covering <laughs> Spike Jones for. That brief period when he was married so uh being john malkovich an adaptation of the only two films he made when they were together so um this is a this is an off uh off the wall question have you ever met a coppola russ have you ever bumped into yeah have you ever bumped into roman coppola whilst you're walking down oxford high street have you ever have you ever you ever you ever, you ever bumped into gia coppola whilst you're in Marks and Spencers, yeah.
3: Uh, sadly, not. I, I've never bumped into any of them. Although I had a colleague for a couple of years uh, where I currently work, and her parents lived in a one of the villages that Nicholas Cage has a house in. Amazing. So that's as close as I've got to him. And it took a lot for me not to just be like, "I'm going to travel to this village. I'm going to hunt him down. I'm going to talk to him." But yeah, it was. It was. Um, that's the closest I've got to them. Uh... <laughs> But sadly, none of the other copulas have ever come into my world. Well sadly.
2: there's still time, Russ. Don't worry. There's still, there's still time. time. For, there's still time for you. There's still time for me. So we'll get there. Don't worry. Um, have you met any of them? No, no. The closest I've come, like, to meeting a uh, copula. Uh, no, it's like just like, I'll let, I'll, let, I'll I'll let this. I'll let I'll, I'll pull back the curtain and reveal this. There is a like. I wrote a list at the beginning of the the year things i wanted to achieve on the podcast and one of them was to speak to a coppola like for the podcast uh and i'm yet to do so i guess the closest i've come in some ways is like i recently interviewed uh the head of like restoration and the uh american zoetrope archive who like uh, uh james mccoskey who works very closely with francis ford coppola so I like to think in some way that like the Coppola family know about me. Like I, I, I I email, I had emails with Nicolas Cage's manager this year, like got declined, but like uh, there's part of me that is like Nicolas Cage knows about this podcast. Do you know what I mean? I think like, I don't know. 2022, who knows? Maybe, uh, yeah, maybe I'll be able to speak to a co uh, um A few of them follow, a couple of them follow me on Twitter, so maybe I'll
3: I'll muster up the courage and be like,
2: hey, come on the podcast, let's hang out. <laughs>
3: <laughs> maybe um, you'll get Gia if they do a proper uh, advertising, a proper, like, press tour for mainstream. I mean, I don't know what's happening with that film. It it was premiered a while back, and it seems to be somewhere in the ether. Well, I've, I think it's out,
2: because I listened to an interview recently with, Andrew Garfield, I think they're the person they've pushed out for the press tour because he was on the newest episode of the Empire Film Podcast talking about mainstream and dodging questions about Spider-Man No Way Home. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what would have been the first Jason Schwartzman film you would have seen, Russ?
3: So, I uh, as with a lot of film people keep a letter boxed account and try and take off all the films i've watched and i had a look at that and it, it's probably i mean the earliest one that he's released is rushmore but i think the film that i watched was um i heart huckabees because i okay. saw that when it came out in the cinema so i think the first jason schwartzman i saw was i heart huckabees and i actually quite have a soft spot for i heart huckabees i mean it's got all the problems of a of a philosophical film from its time but I kind of have a soft spot for it. I think it's quite fun. I think it's quite enjoyable to watch relatively famous actors star in this film. That's mm. kind of weird and has ideas going on in it. And even if it doesn't all hold together, even if it's a bit like, you know, stranger than fiction in that it's, it's, um, simplifies its ideas to, to tell a fun romp. I see. I, I, so it has to be, I, I heart Huckabees, I think, Mm-hmm. um, I don't think I'd seen Rushmore before that. I mean, like, I've seen uh, all the Wes Anderson films, so there is that. But, yeah, it's probably I, I Heart Huckabee's.
2: A, a film I'm yet to watch, and obviously yet to cover on this podcast, but, like...
3: It's probably not aged well, if I'm honest. I'm, I I, yeah. I say that I have a fondness for it, but I haven't watched it in years.
2: It's It's got the whole David O. Russell thing going against <laughs> it <laughs> yeah. as well. And it almost felt like, from looking at it, it looks like David O. Russell almost going, oh, Wes Anderson's doing these... All star ensemble casts, like maybe I should do that as well. Like I think it's like kind of <laughs> in quite close proximity to like the Royal Tenenbaums and stuff like and that. And that's
3: why he got Jason into it because whether the Wes Anderson connection and Jasons and all those Wes Anderson films, yeah, yeah. So he him in and yeah, yeah.
2: That that that's a that's a rare double couple of well, not a rare one, but like. That's one where it's Jason and his mum Talia Shire both in that film. So, yeah, it it is on the list to be covered. I've got a guest <laughs> lined up for that one. So, uh, yeah, expect I Heart Huckabee's next year, I guess. Yeah, I'll get around to it then. Uh, so, let's talk about Klaus. And before we do, is the trailer. <gasps>
0: um, hello, <laughs> Jesper Johansson, postman. Uh, Mr. Klaus, you have a gift. You were meant for making toys. So I figured if you donate your old toys, I'll deliver them for free.
1: Tonight, I go with you. There's no need for you to come with me, really.
0: Tonight, then.
1: (gasps)
4: Dear Mr. Klaus. Dear Mr. Klaus.
1: Shall we then? Yep.
0: (gasps) Mr. Klaus is the coolest. Klaus? What about me? Ow! What the? Loser! Oh yeah, well if I'm a loser, then you're, you're a, you're a, you're 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 too far, you're gone.
5: Hey, what do you guys think you're doing? This is Smearnsburg, the unhappiest place on earth. And you two can't change that. The postman and toy maker are brainwashing everyone!
1: We need to show people that a true selfless act always sparks another.
0: Hi, what's happening right now? Oh no. Holy mother!
1: What happened? Not a word.
0: You just sit there be all magical and awesome.
1: We're doing it let's go
0: Wait 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 time out really that's how you laugh Come on we're running out of time those kids are counting on us
5: if we don't stop them tonight this town will never be the same
0: destroy those toys Snow, you... they're not attached why aren't they attached i thought they were attached i would never in a million years have done what i just did if i didn't think these were attached
2: so russ what is your relationship with this film and when did you first see it
3: uh so i have a pretty positive relationship with this film um, I first saw it when it came out. So when it first came on Netflix, I watched it probably the weekend after it came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, so the nature of my job means I'm aware of the, everything being released in Mars and Oxford and the surrounding area. So I have to put them into the website I run on. We put all the showtimes in. So I'm just super aware of what's coming out, and I live vicariously through that. So I don't watch all the films or all the other stuff. I'm like, oh, this film's on. Uh, and I can um, kind of keep tabs in my head. And so this I was aware of when it screened at a cinema in Oxford and I thought it looked fabulous. And so I watched it when it came out. And and yeah, it was fabulous. I immediately uh, took this film. It made me cry the first time I watched it and it makes me cry every time. We'll probably get into the fact that it makes me cry. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, no, so yeah, I have watched this every year since. I mean, it's only been out for two years, but I've probably watched it a dozen times already so I've watched it four or five times a year uh it's a firm staple in our festive roster it's one of the ones I can watch fairly early on because it's not like uh Home Alone or Gremlins or It's a Wonderful Life and that those feel like staples that I have to watch quite close to Christmas this feels like one that I can watch several times in a year and yeah so yeah I I, I love this film for what it is
2: I know what you mean like Home Alone for me has got this thing in my head that I have to kind of watch it in like the time frame in which it, like, plays out. I kind of, like, yep. do you know what I mean? It's like, it's a few days before Christmas I have to watch it, and, like, I have to get a cheese pizza, and I have to get, like, I have to get a cheese <laughs> a, a, a whole cheese pizza all to myself. Like, I have to get that. Like, I remember uh, a, a few years ago I watched Home Alone, like, had had the cheese pizza, and then, like, woke up in the morning. I was still living at home at the time. Um, and, like, <laughs> woke up in the morning and everyone had like gone to work and i kind of had that like kevin mcallister <laughs> moment of like kind of like mom dad uncle frank Buzz, like everyone was gone. I was like like yeah. I was in my twenties, so I don't know what I was gonna do that I wouldn't have done anyway. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like uh probably a lot more sordid than what Kevin McAllister gets up to. I weren't jumping on any beds. Oh very
3: gentle what he does, enough nothing too yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: He just tries to kill a couple of like middle aged blokes. Um
3: so,
2: <laughs> so did you get to see Klaus in the cinema? You said it it, it was strange.
3: I didn't. That's I, I, I kinda wish I had, but it's like one of these Netflix releases that gets like a week in the cinema and I don't that often see them. Like I think I've seen, I saw The Irishman in the cinema because I was like, Scorsese in the cinema. Gonna go watch that. And and I saw Roma as well because I go to the London Film Festival every year and there'll be films that I'm lucky to to catch. But I don't tend to watch Netflix films in the cinema, which is, is to my fault. But um, I just am like, I'll watch that when it comes to Netflix. Yeah, and yet, yeah, same yeah. attitude it's- with this, like, same, I didn't see the
2: Same thing. I had I had the same thing this week. I was like trying to like, I've got a pretty like hectic podcast week this week. and like, But I was like looking and I was like, oh, don't look up is playing at the every man near me. And I was like, I've kind of like been jonesing for an excuse to go there. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like lovely building, lovely cinema and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, that could be like my little Christmas treat to myself. And I was like, if only I had like scheduled myself better and wasn't recording like a podcast every night of the week. This week, I could I could have gone to 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 check out that film. But uh, yeah, there is that thing. Like the one of the reasons I didn't go see it, like like yourself, is like ah, oh, well, it's on, it's on Christmas Eve on Netflix. Do you <laughs> know what I mean that 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 feels like yeah. the type of yeah. thing. Like like I don't know. I could probably persuade my parents on Boxing Day to maybe like after a couple of mulled wines we can sit like uh, uh, i don't know I'll, I'll i won't tell them about the kind of adam mckay of it all and just be like meryl streep's in it and they'll be like oh if meryl's in it let's give it a watch <laughs> and then before i know it i've kind of like indoctrinated them with some kind of uh oh, what is it like uh duh, 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 like uh duh, 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 environmental like kind of like do you know what I mean like yeah, messaging the and message
3: and it. the message. You're like, and did you get the message at the end? Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is the message. This, is, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> We're destroying the planet, guys. Come on, stop <laughs> using so much plastic. uh <laughs> So, you Klaus, like, I, I think I'm similar to you. And well, not not that I kind of, I had no idea it was coming out. I think like two thousand. And 19 I, I think i saw like when it came on netflix or like on social media or something like that and then saw that like just the animation style of it it's like oh that looks yeah. really interesting and it's like it's the first netflix animation right like which to, uh, um uh, i think the, Thinking, i think it's right? the
3: first that they co-funded i think there were animations that they uh, purchased to distribute but this is the one that they commissioned to get made. And so it is a Netflix film more than something like uh, the Mitchell's first machine, which is just because a Sony, film, Sony yeah. stopped releasing animation and cinema. So that and Vivo are two recent Netflix ones that are not Netflix films, but Netflix uh, have like exclusive streaming rights to them. But this is like a small studio made this Netflix commissioned them to make it. And it is, it's a Netflix film and I kind of quite admire sometimes when netflix does this when it works when they pull off these like really good interesting films like roma wouldn't exist without them the irishman wouldn't exist without them but then there are some other ones that like uh i watched red notice the other day and oh yeah 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 yeah
2: Yeah. (laughs) but yeah that's what i mean for every 10 red notices there's an irishman or there's like this new like the fablesman that's coming out next year which is a new like steven spielberg film do you know what i mean or it's like you kind of Kind of have to take the rough with the smooth, like with Netflix. And
3: you get you get like a Klaus, you get this kind of yeah, uh, warm, endearing film that is is not like many of animations out there that that is its own unique thing. And and yeah, I uh, I appreciate this film. I appreciate Netflix for being a studio that would do this and kind of having set a model that someone like Apple TV are now doing because they release uh, things like Wolfwalkers on this, and Netflix have done. A lot of animation they've got coming up is interesting. So they've got like Henry Selick. Mm-hmm. There's all their roll doll stuff, which I'm very interested in. Um, Big shout out to
2: my boy. Oh, well, yeah, a mutual mutual friend of yeah. ours, David Trumbull. Oh, I,
3: I will say at this point, thank you because that was a really <laughs> great two-hour chat, and it only happened because you're like, hey, there's this guy who like knows about animation. You should talk to him. And I was like, okay, and I did. Yeah, and then I, I went up and talked to his brother. About the Grinch, that was another good two-hour conversation. Those two guys, are <laughs> verbose but fabulous, and they gave me such fabulous episodes to put out. But yeah, so thank you for the no for worries. the thread.
2: I had to, yeah, I had to give, I had to give David, David a shout out, especially talking about an animated film, and I imagine like he'll probably be listening to this, being like did you know like almost like butting in like with these things like wanting to <laughs> butt in be like did you know they did this and this and this and this and this and we'll get on to some stuff that hopefully will make david proud i did, I did my research on <laughs> on the animation style for this um yeah so i like to ask all my guests to kind of give us a, a little plot synopsis of the film can you can you can you tell us what klaus is about
3: sure uh, to not dive too much into spoilers because i do think there'll be people out there who will have not seen this oh we will be spoiling this eventually
2: we'll, we, yeah, we will be but
3: yeah. at this point I'll, I'll limit the spoilers because i yeah i saw these films that i think uh, netflix have this weird thing where they seem to undermarket their own films and seem to just wait for people to find them which i always find kind of odd but klaus so klaus is about jasper who has a rather dubious honor of being the worst student. In the postal academy. And his father, who runs the postal service, sends him off to a small icy village fabulously called S- uh, Sirensburg. And he is set with the task of delivering a certain number of letters. I think it's, he has to deliver 6,000 letters in a year to be allowed back home where all his creature comforts are, where he gets like nice drinks, comfortable sheets, all this other stuff. Ooh, and he, he can be away from this icy hell that he finds himself in. What complicates Sirensberg is that there are two families waging a gang war, not dissimilar to Gangs of New York at the start, which is one of the great things about this film. Uh, And there he also finds a local teacher who's desperate to leave and a carpenter who lives alone in a cabin full of handmade toys. He's a strange figure who comes into the film about 20, 30 minutes in. And with all this, he concocts a scheme that draws in the teacher and carpenter. To leave, and they don't know that he wants to leave, but he concocts this scheme to draw in the children, so they will send letters to a Father Christmas-like figure. And in his own way, he begins to shape a Christmas legend, and he starts to create a figure like Father Christmas. And that's what Klaus is about. Oh, yeah. Klaus is the name of the of the carpenter. Yes,
2: yes, um yeah. I wanted to play a quick clip of the kind of uh, his dad giving him them kind of marching orders of of, of setting up kind of what his mission is.
5: You think I'm just going to watch you purposely fail and then let you waltz right back to a privileged life void of any purpose or meaning?
0: Well, yeah. Where else would I...
5: Congratulations. You are now a postman. Come again? You are to establish a working postal office in... Smearinsburg, you've got one year. What? A year? Where? Smearensburg? What what's happening right now? Dad! Six thousand letters will suffice, stamped by your own hand. And listen carefully, Jesper. If you fail to get those letters, you're cut off. No more fancy apartment, <laughs> stagecoach, clothes, galas, all gone. You can look forward to a cozy spot in the gutter. But Six thousand letters, one year. You can't cheat, bribe, or squirm your way out of this one
2: that is somewhat what he does right though he, right he he does he does, yeah. he does almost bribe a, 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 a town full of people with
3: he plays the system so he can get out he, he is a kind of a corrupt figure at the start who yeah who just um uses people's cuz he just wants to leave and that that's, that's his goal is to leave so he uh, <laughs> lies to a group of children he lies to what we find out is a grieving um, man out in the woods. He lies to a teacher who has a fondness for him. In in that blossoms into something more. But yeah, it's it's for the first half, he's this lying, cheating, corrupt individual who's just doing everything so he can get the hell out of this place. I I what I think
2: is like really like endearing about this is it kind of like borrows things from different stories. It's almost got that kind of like. Scrooge-like character at the uh, uh, in the middle of it in in Jasper in the idea that like he kind of all he cares about is himself and like you kind of know from the outset that like his his kind of I don't know, caviar-filled heart is going to melt and kind of he's going to he's going <laughs> he's going to throw away the fineries in life to yeah to appreciate that like all it takes is an act of kindness to to, to provide another act of kindness. And I think Jason Schwartzman is perfect for a film like this because he kind of he can do this like sl- like slightly smugness, and he can but like an innocence to him that no matter how smug he's being, you kind of like you're warm to him. Like they they they, they yeah. play it really well. I think in this film that like he doesn't feel like. Uh, an absolute asshole do you know what i mean you, you you are still rooting for jesper despite like and it's the kind of machinations of the plot work in such a way that like you almost like you forget about this ploy because he's getting caught up in it he's got you can see the joy on his face and the joy that he's bringing to this town that you don't you don't you, yeah you're not there going oh yeah but once he gets to six thousand letters he's He's fucking out of there. He's he's like buys, smears, buys, smears, bow. like you guys are in in the dust. I'm 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 going back to my life of yeah, caviar and silk sheets. So, like so, yeah. I think I think yeah. Jason... He's
3: so he's not he's not an irredeemable person. He is selfish at the start and mm-hmm. um, di- I dislike him in that sense. And yeah, Jason plays it fabulously. And and we've like one of his most memorable roles for me is is Gideon Grave or Gray in uh, Scott Pilgrim and like playing that fantastic asshole um, villain that he does. And there is hints of that at the start and then it kind of melts away. And the whole thing with any of these kind of films that are about people doing duplicitous schemes is that as the scheme goes on, obviously they will get more into where they are. They will get more into the people they're surrounded by. And so the scheme will kind of uh, go to the background for them. They're doing it because they've kind of developed a warmth and and kindness within them. And that's what this is. It's about developing warmth and kindness. And and it's a fascinatingly cold film at the start that kind of um, a warmth kind of uh, breeds within it and kind of gets warmer and warmer as it goes on. But it starts with this wonderfully cold film that's just, uh, yeah, beautifully done, but so cold and so Mm -hmm. um, not unpleasant, but, unwelcoming it's really interesting that as a film it's quite unwelcoming at the start it's not it doesn't draw the audience in by being warm at the start it says this is a cold place these are cold people there is no kindness there is no warmth here and then it kind of develops beyond that point it develops into this point where as jasper softens and becomes warmer as uh klaus opens up and becomes warmer as i should know her name the teacher Alva. yeah yeah
2: yeah yeah
3: alba becomes warmer and kinder as the kindness kind of is with a virus but not not in not in a negative way <laughs> a positive way a positive virus kind of spreads through this village and through these people and we kind of see it happen and jason's performance is really good at capturing that kind of shift within him as he becomes less and less of a selfish asshole and more and more of this kind of kind nice friendly person right from to the point that makes me cry which is where he is Making a, a sled for a, for the village girl. Um, yeah, the Sami girl. Right? That entire sequence, I'm yeah. weeping throughout because I, f- I think it's a beautiful sequence. Um, yeah. So at, at that point where he is so invested in this in in the positive side of the scheme, so investing getting toys to children that he'll make a toy even though he has none of the skills he needs to, even though we have established that he's lazy and untalented as a person and willfully untalented, like he's willfully uh, sought to avoid responsibility and re- avoid skilling up, and that's 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 the wonderful shift and yet yeah, Jason's performance carries it carries that shift from him so that by the end when he is this nice person, we can go with it and we even like it and we even accept it and we're kind of fine with it even though at the start he is selfish and kind of dislikable
2: yeah I, to your point of like the kind of coldness of this film. I think some of that comes down to the way that this film is animated and, like, the animation design of Snirensberg and the idea that they everything is angular. It's a lot of, like, sharp corners, a lot of triangles. Do you know what I mean? Everything looks very angular, almost like Tim Burton-esque or Henry Selick-esque in that kind of way, that it's, like, decrepit and stuff like that. And then when you get to uh, Klaus's kind of cabin out in the middle of nowhere, everything's a lot more softer edges and rounder and stuff like that and that very much feels like uh, a conscious choice on the parts of the filmmakers uh, who kind of like right let's like like let, let's visually tell the audience and I, yeah i wanted to talk about the kind of animation style because there's something kind of magical about it in the way that like you watch it and it feels even though it's like from 2019 watching it for the first time it felt I don't know, it, it felt familiar at the same time, but, like, totally kind of groundbreaking. And I know that they used, yeah. like, kind of groundbreaking technology to kind of uh, get the visual style that they do. So, yeah, what are your kind of views on, on, on this animation
3: style that they use? So, like, um, I think there's this movement in 3D animation that I really appreciate, which is kind of a move away from it being uh, photorealistic almost being like the best animation can be so like i mean that's still what Pixar are doing pics are still out there making um as close to humans as possible all, all that stuff whereas uh, the really animation that i've drawn to is the one that kind of is learning from what worked with 2d animation which is imperfections and kind of putting in this So you say like there's like the angular design like the village is designed and it's very rickety and and uh, the characters themselves are never kind of they're not realistic proportions. There's like the two giant kids, one from each set of family and they're huge. And the character design makes them unre- realistically big. And then you've got um, Joan Cusack's character is bent double and looks frail. And there is that kind of Henry Selleck, uh, Tim Burton, even uh, Quentin Blake's uh, Roald Dahl yeah, yeah, yeah. drawings. Um, so, so like uh, I have just started because I, I why not? reading to my five-year-old uh, Roald Dahl's books, and we've just read George's Marvelous Medicine, and there's something about uh, the way that Quentin Blake interpreted Roald Dahl's words and Roald Dahl's description of characters that I think is in this. I think mm-hmm. that the characters um are free to, to be exaggerated in places, and there's exaggeration here in the characters. And yeah, and, and the world is very angular. And rickety and, and yeah, like uses that for the comedy. So like there's the bit where he where he lives and he has to go out to the toilet and it's all rickety and the way it's animated. But it's also if we just take the opening sequence of the fight of the when he rings so he enters this village, rings a bell, and that causes <laughs> the two families to fight, and it turns into a sequence from Gangs of New York. And so they limit what you see because it takes place in a in a sea of um not smoke, but kind of Yeah, like Like the fog descends. Like 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 those
2: dust clouds that you. It's like a dust cloud of ice gets up.
3: And so you get that. And then you see him, like at one point, get flung out and burst through the cloud. And it kind of zooms out. And you get like a far off shot of him going up in the sky and coming back down through it. And so it's willing to be playful in how it animates itself. It's willing to be playful in the shots it's choosing. It's quite cinematic in how it's constructed. And even cinematic in the sense that it goes from being cold to warm, and it it uses uh, the seasons as a means to kind of uh, open itself out and become something different. And that's in the animation style itself that the animation style becomes warm, and you can see that there's like clearly someone there who's talked mm-hmm. to them through lighting and how lighting impacts mm-hmm. the scene. And
2: well, well, this film is like is groundbreaking in the way that like it is all. Still, like apart from a, a few small things, is two D animation. But they came up with this like lighting and texture, like kind of pack, like kind of AI almost that the animators could go in and find tweak. Yeah, that kind of created this look for the characters. That it feels like a it, it, that's what's ma- magic about it. It feels like a kind of a trick. It's like an optical illusion in the thick fi- The thing that's like. feel three D and it's almost like at times it feels like three D characters inhabiting like a two D landscape and I know that like they used a lot of like scenic layers so like to 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 get that idea of like a depth of field and stuff like that. But it's all two D and like Yeah. Um yeah, the way that like the 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 characters look and there's a a great video which I'll put in the show notes to this that kind of like breaks it down very quickly and um I know that um Sergio Pablos kind of has this rich history with uh Disney, right like kind of yeah, so
3: like his uh, so his career was initially as an animator at Disney, and he's so how Disney worked with their two d animation was they would have specific animators on for specific characters, so like he did Frollo in "The Hunchback of Notre Dame," he did uh, Paris in a goofy movie he did tantor and tarzan and he did hades one of my favorite animated characters ever he animated hades and hercules and so this there is that element to him that most of his career is not spent as a director this is his directorial debut he was a writer on despicable me but um his work is his so much had been about animation that's why i guess the character design here is is one of the strengths of how this looks in that every single character feels like they've been... uh, They've had one person work on them for six months Mm -hmm. to come up with the perfect way for them to look and feel and walk and their gestures are perfect so how um, Jasper, his gesticulations are so spot on and the Uh, little girl from the village is so perfectly animated. All of it feels perfect on the character side of things and I guess that comes from the fact that he spent the 90s into the 90s as the person at disney animating these now iconic figures
2: mm-hmm. yeah and i know that there's like uh so this this film predates there's like a short you can i'm not sure if it's available anywhere but there's a short that is from 2015 which is like a kind of proof of concept of what what they were trying to go for and i know at the time they worked with like a a french studio to kind of develop the ai they were working on because I think in that original kind of like thing they had created with like this AI to work on the lighting and textures, it was too labor intensive and they were like, well, this film will never get made. Do you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? It would have been like 10 years in the making or something like that. And then this um, French studio, which oh, I think it's called like Maison de Rouge or something like that. Uh, Again, David Trumbull is probably going, it's this company <laughs> uh, <laughs> right now. But yeah, they, they kind of came on board to really help them out with kind of fine-tweaking the AI to make it a, a more like fluid process. And I think it's something like, it's like 400 people who worked on this film or something like that, like close to like 100 animators or something like that. And it's kind of like, I don't know, it all really feels like it's made with love. I just kind of, there is there is something... I yeah, it's. I think it's crazy for a film to, to be so new but just feels like do you know what I mean? It, it almost feels like something that like you've blown the dust off of a VHS that like, yeah. has been hidden in the back of a, a video shop since 1993 or something like that.
3: Cause yeah, crazy. I think because it's this film that is diff, different from its peers it's out here doing its own thing. I mean, there are Similar styles of films out there, but this feels Klaus feels like Klaus. And there's like a raft of films that feel like versions of DreamWorks animations or Pixar animations, and then you get other unique studios doing their own thing. But this feels uh, unique and almost timeless in that quality because also its interpretation of Christmas is not very West or not very American. Mm-hmm. It's a very European interpretation of Christmas. Uh, what it's drawing off of are the Myths and legends of Christmas in Europe, in 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 Germany or in Scandinavia or places like that, and I mean that's one of the reasons why it endears to me is because I I don't really warm to an American version of Christmas too much myself. I'm more of a you know Rizzo the Rat in a Victorian uh, London kind of guy as opposed to anything else. But yeah, Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the reasons why it feels um, out of time out of sync almost is because it um it isn't trying to be like other animations other christmas films it's trying to be um almost european focused
2: yeah well the fact that it's like what it's a it's, it's a spanish production company yeah and it's kind of like it feels like this and it feels i don't know it feels freeing i know that um uh, yeah sergio pablos has said that uh jason schwartzman when it came to his dialogue like 40 percent of what he says was the script like the rest is (laughs) ad-libbed and you kind of really get that you get that feeling in the way he delivers things and like it's kind of like it feels fresh it feels and it got i don't know like i imagine like in in some like american animation it would like they would either go well you look back at like aladdin or something like that it's like Robin Williams is probably a hundred percent like uh, ad libbed and stuff like that. But this kind of feels yeah, he's like... doing
3: stand up and they're animating his stand up. Basically, that's what yeah Aladdin is.
2: And then, but this like feels like I don't know. There's like a a freeness to it to kind of like find the character and kind of like here is the bare bones of the story, like and the the message. Like the message is still going to stay the same, but like yeah. really, really work around it and like work with it and it's i don't know this there's there's just this there's so much beauty in this film um so let's talk about some of like your your favorite scenes in this film of course Russell. yeah
3: Uh, so obviously like we've talked about the the opening fight which is probably my favorite bit of animation in this film because it is um so chaotic and energetic a moment to fling into this opening that's been a bit uh slow and cold but yeah i I love this film i love how it introduces characters i love the the first time we meet klaus for example out in his um woodland retreat essentially because he's basically retreated from the world i like all that stuff and how again that's being led by the energy of uh schwartzman's jasper because schwartzman does all the talking in that scene up until the the first time J.K. Simmons talks. And yeah, that's a great sequence. Uh, and it has a lot of fun then with their kind of, um, their escapades, their kind of delivery yeah. of gifts. And so we get some nice short scenes of Jasper being hurt or kind of having to do with dogs via all this other stuff. And it's just there being used for us to make him into an endearing figure, kind of that kind of like transition from what the- uh, a selfish prick into a nice guy
2: the film's not scared as well to play that scene of when jesper first goes out to klaus's like cabin it's like quite scary like uh, i'd like to know if, there's like... an
3: in, yeah there's an intimidating quality to klaus that never really leaves the character never really is not an intimidating figure um
2: yeah, and it, it, that that feels quite European, right? It kind of feels like it's it's borrowing that like element of like the the Krampus almost. Do you know what I mean? Of that thing <laughs> of like that there is is there there is a danger to Santa almost. This thing of like, and it, this film establishes like the naughty the naughty list and stuff like that, and does it in such like a a playful manner and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, so like one of the kids like, and I love the way that that comes about as well that. that a kid like calls calls Jasper a loser and tells him to. And go throws home. a snowball at him. And, yeah, and yeah, say... yeah, and and like when it when he realises that's the kid he's delivering a present to, he gives him a lump of coal, and that's <laughs> where that kind of idea comes from. Yeah, and then yeah, Jasper delivers. This, like, on kind of speech to that kid when confronted.
3: I sent my letter and all I got was a lousy clump of coal! Well, it
0: serves you right. Devilish little tadpoles like yourself don't get toys from Klaus.
3: Oh, yeah? And how would he know what
0: I'm up to unless you ratted on me? Oh, I didn't have to. He knows.
5: <gasps> what do you mean?
0: He sees everything, you know. Every mischief, prank, and dirty deed. He keeps a list. The naughty list, he calls
5: it. You lie.
0: Trust me. You do not want to be on the naughty list.
2: What I love about this film is the the way it, like, um, plays with myth-making and, like, kind of, like, all of the, these things that, like, we've come to know as, like, the rules of Santa Claus and the way that, that, that Santa operates. but the beauty of how that kind of stuff can come to be, and like the joy that it, it instills in children, and stuff like that. And there's that 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 moment where all the kids are kind of like, through kind of like a, a thing of like, do you know what I mean? Like, kind of, I don't know, like uh, telephone. I guess the Americans would call it. It's. Uh, uh, I, I'm trying to think of the politically correct version of that that isn't uh, a derogatory. Uh, yeah, do you know what I mean like? Do you know what I mean it's kind
3: yeah, of yeah? Like so they they have like so the story kind of evolves as it's told. Yeah, around yeah, 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 yeah. The, the, kid, the yeah, village yeah. and that that's a that is a really great thing about this film is that it's about the act of storytelling. It's about how the act, the community itself, tells the story. How it it takes things. So there's a about halfway through a confrontation sequence. The two families who decide they're going to work together, and one of the many amazing moments of Joan Kuzak, who is fantastic in this film and you always forget just how amazing Joan kuzak is but in this she's fantastic as mrs uh, mrs crumb and she gives one of her many great speeches about this is the way things are yes and then they get chased and because they get chased and they kind of fly through the air on their sled with their reindeer a child sees that and so it becomes the added to the myth that uh claws flies he flies yeah, yeah, and yeah. he distributes his toys and so it's that and it's just this wonderful points are made that all these things like Jasper putting in a bit of coal into the kid who doesn't like as his delivery becomes part of the story and it becomes more and more the story. And it's kind of like the acts of kindness multiplying are tied into this kind of story that's being kind of uh, blossomed and complicated by the children, almost separate to the people running the scheme because they're just doing their thing. And little snippets of that will then feed into a wider story of who this Klaus figure is.
2: Here's some of the things that the kids like talk about, and I guess like a lot of them, we know to be the things that kind of Santa does. In
5: the morning, the present is right there by the fireplace. Yeah, Mister Klaus is amazing. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah,
2: Klaus.
0: Awesome.
5: He's huge, but he can squeeze down any chimney. Really? How? I don't
1: know. Magic, I guess.
3: Oh. <sighs> if you leave your socks hanging on the mantle, Mr. Claus will fill them with toys. He
5: only comes when you're sleeping. No one has ever seen him. It's like he's invisible or something. <gasps> <gasps> ah.
4: Oh, and he likes cookies. Don't forget to leave out some cookies.
2: What I love about that is the fact that um, all of that is interplayed with Jesper kind of like going in and out of the houses and stuff like that and it's uh, I, I think that's one of the things that this film really speaks to and I think is a, the core of what this film is about that obviously like the myth the legend is it's, it's, it's this lone figure Santa Claus who's doing all this stuff but what this film is really talking about is those acts of kindness and it's yeah almost any of us can be Santa and I feel like it it's kind of it feels like it would be a beautiful like transitionary film for a kid when like that inevitable conversation comes when like you have to talk to your kids about when they've heard at school yeah. that yeah. santa's not real and then like i think i think this film would be a, a great tool for them to kind of like go hey it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't matter do you know what i mean it's it's the fact like if if i can give you a gift if if you can do something nice for someone like the idea of santa exists like it's it's, it's not a it's not a tangible thing but it's like the the idea can still be real do you know what i mean like no matter how old you are yeah. even now at the kind of i don't know cynical age of 30 or, or older like i can still kind of have that christmas magic and it's The joy of kind of doing something nice it might not even be like giving a gift like it's a that's just a nice way of kind of visualizing it and kind of like i don't know what in this capitalist stink cesspit that we that we live in is kind of a a good representation to show your affections and kind of appreciation for other people but this film really gets to the heart of it and it is those beautiful things to like share with people and kind of bringing people together that that means more than kind of christmas and we can all yeah it's almost like that thing of it's that it's that spider-man into the spider-verse thing it's anyone can kind of put on the mask you can kind of anyone can be spider-man anyone can be santa yeah i mean like you could you can if you if you and if you do that act of kindness whether it's it's not about giving to receive but it's like that could make someone's day and they want to do something great for somebody else. And it's kind of, we all keep doing that, then we'll all be in, in a much better place. We'll be in that uh, be in an ideal utopia that we're yet to see in this world.
3: Uh, yeah, and there is this wonderful optimism in the film that even where the authority figures, so the two sets of families, are set on fighting and they kind of unify so they can get back to the position where they're fighting, it's this idea that that kind of kindness and hope will not be killed straight away. It can still fostering exist because the people who are doing it are the young, small children. So that's part of who they are now is that they'll be kind and they'll pay it forward and they'll help heal the community around them. So it's quite it's quite optimistic about what young people can do, which, I mean, given the state of the world, we kind of need young people to be, uh, <laughs> to be able to heal the world. Um, in a not Michael Jackson sort of way, in you know, like a nice, <laughs> not, not in that sort of way. Um, but yeah, and like this whole like kids telling stories and creating a myth. That's what children do anyway. That's what my daughter does anyway. She'll talk to her friends about things and they'll create stories and they'll create ideas. And they'll take threads of things and they'll develop their own stories. I, I did it as a kid and it'll happen. It is happening with her.
2: Oh, yeah. And well, this
3: film captures it really well.
2: Yeah, my 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 son just puts two and two together and comes up with five. Like he's, gonna, <laughs> he, he's creating myths. He recently told his mum when she asked him, "Oh, did you have a good weekend at Dada's?" He said, "Yeah, Dada's gone to work. Dada's at the pub. Dada's getting pissed." Which was <laughs> like a real, like, kind of like eye-opening moment for both of us. Like, oh, he's done his first swear, but he's obviously figured out somewhere from like hearing conversations that like people go to work and then go to the pub and get pissed. (laughs) He might've overheard a phone call or or something and has kind of put those things together, but he's just created this myth about me that I don't, I I don't go to work. I go to the pub and I get pissed. (laughs) So yeah, even as a two year old, he's, he's ratting me out. Um, On your point about kids. And this is something that like, I think this is one of the things that really gets me. This film is that there is a thread throughout this film, all about how children are like a product of where they live and the environment that they live in, and like that—that's kind of like what really breaks my heart in this. And it is the, it is that it, that beauty in it that it is the children who can kind of be the future and make that change, and like it's it's those guys who start like. And there's that other great kind of montage where like um, they start like they're writing their letters and kind of explaining all of the nice yeah. things they're doing for people. And it's like, oh, and that's where that whole thing. And it's that thing like it comes from that kind it can look like you can look at it quite cynically where it's like, oh, if you if you're not nice, you're on the naughty list. But like it's still like really heartwarming and kind of like great I mean, and it is it kind of this film really cleverly strips away that thing of the i don't know like manipulative thing of like what the santa claus thing could be because you kind of look at it in one way yeah. like cynically and be like well if you're not not if you're not nice like you're not getting any presents or you can kind yeah. of like look at it as like a a life lesson of being like well just be nice anyway do you know what I mean and like is that thing yeah we're all trying to instill in our kids that to be nice right
3: it's it's telling them that even if they don't think anyone can see them being nice and um doing the right thing someone is seeing that and they will be rewarded for it and even then it's not about being rewarded it's just about being the act of being nice and kind and Uh, One of my favorite moments in this film is linked to the act of writing. It's when the the teacher... Hold on. Alva teaches a class to write their name. She teaches a child to write their name for the first time. And uh, it's just... uh, You get to watch in this film how children that haven't had fun or love or kindness, how they can blossom and better themselves and better the world around them. And the first act they do is to learn to write their name. And and that's a really powerful moment. And he, I think for anyone, but you've got kids. And when you can see your kids start to get more and more developed and become, you know, better, more human as opposed to, you know, these like blobs that are running around taking the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yes, that's a moment I love. I love the way it's played. I love how it's quite um, subtly played. Like Rashida Jones performance that is quite subtle and underplayed it doesn't dwell too much in that moment of being hang on a second these kids can't write mm. and yeah it, it just it all yeah. kind of feeds in this like representation of children as being capable of being better.
2: Well yeah I think that is, is that the scene that's kind of capped off with her kind of reaching into her savings
3: to kind of be like yeah, yeah.
2: I'm going to turn this school around I'm going to actually like and it is that, like, yeah, it's that ripple effect that Jesper doesn't know that he's creating. And it's, it takes her later on to show him, like, this is what you've done to this, to this city. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? This is, like, this is kind of like what you've, what you've shown everything. I wanted to play a, a little clip of, of Rashida Jones just so people can hear how great this kind of the performance is.
0: Starting far, far away from here. Where's that, Alva?
5: Someone would have to be pretty stupid to want to leave this place now, don't you think? I guess. You guess? Oh, wow, you have no idea what you've done, do you? Oh, come on, I'll show you. Now, would you take a look at that? <laughs>
2: And she shows him kind of, he has turned Smearansburg into kind of like Whoville, right? In this yeah, kind of, yeah. in this. Beautiful- it's got like a nice
3: German market and there's uh, music being played and like people who are fighting are now part of a band and all this stuff. And, and it, the film spends 45 minutes slowly opening up the world to show this is happening, showing that these acts of kindness lead to other acts of kindness, which lead to other acts of kindness which leads to friendship and these this town village that hates itself and hates the other members of its, of its town and village are able to move beyond that point. And it's a really interesting film in how it represents how you heal hate and division, which is that you kind of give something to fill the void that is hate and, vision, and, and division. It,
4: mm-hmm. it,
3: you put something else in there, which is friendship and kindness and warmth and, and yeah, you open up. The possibility that there is a better world out there and that's what Jasper's doing without knowing he's doing it because he's just doing this because he wants to get out of this place and he can't see what he's doing up until that that moment definitely,
2: definitely. well before, before we get to like the final act of this film and kind of like start to wind down I wanted to delve into those moments in this film that, that, that bring <laughs> a tear to your eye just because I, yeah I found myself like welling up at this, I don't know, four or five times? Like, it's, it's, it's really, yeah, it really does get.
3: Yeah, so there's, there's, um, I think there's probably two threads in this that, that move me quite a bit, and one of them is, is the pain that Klaus is going through, and we learn about two-thirds of the way through that the reason why he has all these toys, the reason why he is so good at making toys is that he was married And was going to have lots of children and his wife couldn't have children (laughs) and is now dead. I mean I have a slight issue in that, you know, there's the whole dead wife thing, dead mother thing, which is so rampant in in Mm -hmm. stories that it's I kinda wanna do a letterbox list that has like that (laughs) as the as as the plot tripe, which is there's a dead parent. I'm not trying Um, to
2: make you cry, but I'm gonna I'm gonna play that scene.
3: (laughs) You know? I remember the day
1: I first had that very same smile on my face. What?
2: What smile? I wasn't
0: smiling. I was squinting from the sun.
1: Right. I didn't want to admit it at first either. She used to tease me about it. She? My Lydia. I remember when I found this spot in the woods that she loved. And I built us a house right here away from it all. But it wasn't going to be the two of us for long. We wanted children. Lots of them. Running around, laughing, getting in trouble. While we waited, I started making toys for them. And we waited. And I kept making toys and more toys. Oh, there's another one. What do you think? And we kept waiting. But they never came. And then... She got sick. Even now, sometimes... It almost feels like she's still... (sighs) After, after she was gone, I, I guess I got lost. She loved birds, so I I just kept making birdhouses. But then, then you showed up, delivering these toys Seeing the joy they bring to children, I thought I'd never feel this again. And I have you to thank for it, my friend. So, thank you.
3: Of course. And just yet, with J.K. Simmons in this is, is wonderful, and I think I've watched nine or eight films he's been in this year, and every time he's in a film I'm overjoyed that he's in it. But in this... He's so good at getting across Klaus's grief and sense of loss. And I find that animation is quite easy. It's quite easy for animation to to kill off a loved one, but it's really hard for them to talk about the act of not being able to have children. And that's Hmm. one of the things that Klaus does really well is that it subtly talks about that, talks about that kind of trauma that a fair few people have to go through in that they want children, but can't have children. And, uh, I One of the great things for me is to have kids and is to, as much as they infuriate me and spend <laughs> so, too much time with them sometimes, particularly during a pandemic, um, they are great and it's great to have them. They kind of, particularly Christmas, reshape what Christmas is. And if you don't get that and if that's what you want, it's, it's a real tragedy. See, so that's a really moving thread, particularly that moment, because of that acknowledgement that is rarely seen in animation for me in that some people can't have children and it doesn't happen for some people, even if they want it, no matter how much you want it, it might not happen.
2: Yeah. uh, And I think it's, it's presented in a way that like children could like, like it could either go over their head or like it's there for them to like, pick up on it might it might it might lead to some questions like what does he mean by like they just didn't come and it's like i don't know i think for an animated film to do that and like how like I don't they bring out those discussions in parents and their kids Yes, yeah. it's, it's a beautiful thing because like it is that yeah, thing, and it's and it, it's it makes i don't know to sound selfish but it makes you cherish your own kids and kind of like uh, impart some kind of like uh gratitude like some feeling of gratitude in your kids that like hey it's so lucky that we're all here do you know yeah like, exactly that, that's what it is like it's so lucky there's some people out there and it's that 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 is that is probably more heartbreaking like than the kind of like the dead wife thing just feels like a bit of like I don't know, it's it's <laughs> one of the bugbears in this film, do you know what I mean? But it like it's yeah. the fact that like Klaus wanted this and the fact that all those toys are there for the children he never had.
3: It's... Yeah, and it it gives this reason for what for why this convenient character exists, who makes toys, who has toys, it gives a reason. It also creates a complexity in the narrative, it gives a point where they kind of diverge because he doesn't want to make more toys. He doesn't want to do this because he did it for a reason. And that reason was because he was going to have them with the person he loved. And then it leads nicely into the main sequence that makes me just weep throughout, which is where uh, Jasper has been so reformed, has become such a good person that uh, he is shown by, he is shown by Alva the good he does and so he brings uh margot who is this girl from a village outside of the surrounding area mm-hmm. who doesn't speak the language and he and the, they come together to translate what she wants to say and for her to write a letter and that's in itself beautiful because it's it's opening up this this story to other children to children who might not have access to it because of language barriers and then jasper goes off to make her a sled And that brings Klaus out and Klaus kind of manages to escape the fog of grief that he's in to come and help him make this toy. And then they travel across in a beautiful sequence to deliver the toy. And there's this wonderful shot of them on ice and there's a whale underneath. And then (laughs) uh, they watch the child wake up, open a present and ride it. And it's just, it's a really emotionally manipulative moment because the song it's using is really emotionally manipulative and beautiful. And yeah, I cry every time like that. I guess because the story, I at that point, am very invested in who Jasper is and to watch him become a good person. And I really like this in in film and TV where it's about someone becoming a good person. It's why I really warned to The Good Place as a TV show because that was about people who have been determined to be bad people becoming better people, striving to be good. Um, because we have many stories about terrible people being terrible or good yeah. people becoming bad people. We've got Breaking Bad, which is phenomenal, Better Call Saul, which is phenomenal. We just finished Succession, which is about terrible people being terrible to each other and loved it, loved every moment of it. But <laughs> sometimes I want to be told that, you know, people who have issues can become better, can become good.
2: Yeah, my, I, I had a thought whilst watching this film. Uh, is like, would Jesper be a... Uh a Roy child if he was like a few hundred years <laughs> later in the way that he is kind of like his dad owns the post. Yeah, like service. there's
3: nepotism in his his upbringing. Yeah, He's yeah. only doing this because his dad is who he is. <laughs> well, and it, it feels like a perfect yeah. role
2: for Jason Swartzman in that way. Like it kind of like he probably understands that character really well because he probably <laughs> has had it easy his whole life. His mum being Adrian from the Rocky films do you know what I mean? Like it's that <laughs> thing like he probably he probably does under yeah understand that fully in the fact that do you know what I mean like like yeah, yeah like in that way and um I think yeah that that young girl uh, who he speaks to she provides this beautiful moment for Jesper to really like tell the audience like how he's feeling and kind of give us a glimpse into like his soul basically yeah.
5: yeah.
0: Nah, I don't want to bore you
5: with it.
0: Well, okay. It's just been bothering me, you know? If I don't get those letters, then what what am I supposed to do? Stay in this little town forever, hanging out with an old woodsman surrounded by crazy people and never wanting anything more? (sighs) Back home, I've got pretty much everything. But here, I'm just another irrelevant, pointless... Nobody. But Klaus, he doesn't deserve... To, I didn't mean to... Well, now I just feel like a... I've behaved like a... Don't let go, <laughs> Precisely. Hey, you're a pretty good listener, you know? <sighs> All right. You win. Let's go. Follow me.
2: Russ, what do you what yeah, what 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 do you make of that moment when kind of like Jasper kind of realises that he almost realizes he's like he is the bad guy, right?
3: Yeah, he realizes what his scheme has done, which is to draw in this kind of grief stricken um carpenter out in the woods who has his own story, has his own life. Um, and that yeah, it wasn't his intention to kind of I guess, help this person through their grief and mm-hmm. he understands that if he leaves it kind of undoes any of the work that he's inadvertently done. Um, and it's it's useful for us as an audience to see that he kind of understands where he is and he understands what is happening where he is and that's uh, useful for us to see. Again, Jason's out there giving us a fabulous performance. Um, yeah. I think it's all in that kind of moment and then the follow-on and then uh, it's also bookended this sequence by him being excited afterwards they've delivered the toy that he gets to see the joy that it brings and he is excited and he again has that great schwarzman energy that is so often this character that he's there excitedly saying that how he's helped this child how he's bought this gift to this child and how wonderful it is to um do this yeah so I think it's both him showing that he understands that he's not been a good person and then showing that he understands he's becoming a better person. And that's nice. It's nice to be able to watch someone see that they are becoming a better person.
2: Yeah. I like, I can somewhat like, like relate to the character of Jesper and like, I don't know, maybe because it's Christmas, I've had a couple of drinks and I I feel like sharing things, but like, when it came to like being a dad, like, well, I never, I never really wanted to be a dad. Like, to be honest, and like the the way I became a dad is, uh, well, it's not my place to say. In, in regards, it's kind of a a very like taught story, and like uh, there's there's another party <laughs> involved, and there's, uh, there's there's a child who, unless the internet gets destroyed one day, can listen back to this and be like, <laughs> whoa, my dad told that story on a on a podcast, but um. Yeah, like as I don't know, like it's that weird thing. Like as kind of Jesper kind of comes into this this town and really like figures out his purpose. Because like for a lot of my life, and I guess like even now, I I still feel this thing of like purposelessness. Do you know what I mean? And it's like oh yeah, um, definitely having a kid is like as kind of vain or kind of selfish that may be, or. I don't know. It, it It's given me an opportunity to have purpose and be like, be selfless. Do you know what I mean? Like, cause yeah. I countless amounts of times it's like, well, I need to put him before, before me, like a hundred percent of the time. And it's like, I don't, I think, I think that's a kind of, and, and I'm just like, this isn't something I've even thought about before. Like kind of saying this right now, that's a, That's a narrative that this film kind of has. Do you know what I mean? Like subconsciously underneath is that thing of like becoming a parent can kind of like like Jesper kind of has this. I don't know. Yeah, what he has. So
3: I think having a kid, uh, you become you gain responsibility in a way that no other action can do. Even getting married doesn't give you responsibility. What does give you responsibility that there is a child in your life and you kind of, uh, you could probably choose to ignore the child or to not be as active a parent as you want to be. But I found, and I, and I suspect you did too, that it kind of pulls you into being a more uh, active participant in their life and you want to be responsible and caring. And, uh, yeah, uh, it is infuriating and rewarding being a parent. and. Uh, I'll, uh, my first was a surprise. It was yeah, it was a surprise. Um, and I freaked the fuck out when it happened. <laughs> um, but yeah, like um, and like even during something like what we've been going through in the past two years, it kind of shapes your experience of it. So my experience of a pandemic is a lot of the time being about how does it affect my kids, how is it affecting their lives, and um yeah it's it's I think this film captures in a sh- good way what it is to become an adult, and I think to become an adult is when you have kids i mean there are other ways like you know you get a mortgage or you start taking a fancy to collecting uh cheeses or whatever it is you want to collect yeah, but, you know, i mean I... you'll start wearing jumpers, you'll start listening to um Jarvis Cockermore or yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> whoever it is um but yeah the act having a kid is is hard. And rewarding, f- and the act of Jasper being kind and nice and forgive it uh, for his plan to leave is is a metaphor because there are things you forego when you have kids. There have like it's kind of changed what I expect I can do with myself because well, we, I want to be there to look after my kids.
2: Well, yeah, I I, I think this film like really cleverly subtly does that because by the end we found out we find out that Jasper gives up the life of fineries and yeah. selfishness to settle down and have kids. And it's like this film is like it is in its essence about a yeah. ab- ab- about a man kind of like becoming a dad, really. And I think that's kind of what's at the what's really at the heart of this. Do you know what I mean? Because it's got that thing of the longingness of Klaus to want to be a father and never having it and Jesper kind of not realizing what's right in front of him, like he's kind of like he's created this family, and then like not even not even like uh, actual physical fab, like, like like kind of like he's created this family around him. He's created this family like setup in Smearensburg. and it's like he he has to make that decision, and like him deciding to stay is him deciding to be in that child's life. Like, that's kind yeah. of like my reading of this film, is like, he is kind of like, by bringing this joy to this town, he is like, I don't know, he's got someone up the duff. And it's like, he is kind of presented <laughs> with that moment with his dad. And like, I think like this, I I, I love the fact that the film is bookended with these kind of two conversations he has with his dad. And like, I just yeah, I just play that, the second one when his dad kind of, Comes back into town. Dad, what are you doing here?
5: Time isn't up yet. I've still got a few days until. 14,000 letters out of Smearinsburg? Well, I had to come and see it for myself. Dad, you can't just show up and. Wait, what? 14,000? That's not right. Oh, uh, but
1: it is. Don't be so modest.
5: What are they doing here? Well, they were the ones who alerted me to what you've accomplished here. We couldn't let such a feat go unrewarded. Listen, whatever they told you. Well, then. Ready to go? Go? Where? (laughs) Home, of course. A deal's a deal. The ordeal is over. Home?
0: With the personal butler and the breakfast in bed and my silk sheets? No one deserves
5: it more.
1: Wouldn't you agree, Mr. Klaus?
5: Oh, he was unbelievable. Encouraging children to write letters. And go to school. Convincing the locals to donate their labor to such a worthy
1: cause.
2: Indeed. Mm-hmm. Well, shall we then? I think that just hammers my point home, right? He's like he has that he has that opportunity. And it sounds horrible, like and it, it's a very male problem, like we like confronted <laughs> with fatherhood, like it, it's statistically more men who kind of are presented with that choice of do I stick around or do i get the fuck out there <laughs> and that's almost like what 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 jesper is kind of presented with in that moment of like and you see around him like uh klaus and like the, the 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 sammy kind of like family who have like he's brought into his house and it's it's that beautiful thing of like i don't know creating families and it is that thing of It doesn't matter if they're kind of blood-related and stuff like that, and it's... I think, yeah, I think that's one of the things that this film really does well, is show, like, I don't know, like, Klaus, and it's shown brilliantly as well, when there's that kind of sculpture that Klaus has made that was him and his wife at the top, Mm. and all them holes for the children, and then, like, that that is, like, like... Shown to be like a thing of, it's the children that they give the presents to. It's this family he's invited into his home. It's it's Jesper, it's Alva. They're filling up those holes because it's not about it's not about kind of blood ties of family that, that that means anything to these characters. It is the kind of family that you surround yourself in, and it's kind of there's there's that's what I like about this film. It's a rich tapestry yeah. of kind of. Threads and kind of you can take different things away from it even if some of them are half pissed like analogies about becoming a father <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, that i i've just i've just gone gone to but yeah um yeah i know i said maybe about half hour ago about about wrapping up is there is there is there is there anything like uh we will talk about the kind of wrap up of this film but is there any, anything else in the film that you wanted to discuss
3: at all Oh, what do I, again must reiterate as that clip did that Joan Cusack is really sensational in this film <laughs> and you kind of appreciate what a great voice actress she is um Rashida Jones is another great one who pops up in films fairly often uh, in a supporting voice role and while I might be frustrated that she ends up having to be a supportive wife figure in the end um she does at least have a lot of fun with that character up until that point. She at least is a really fun character, really. Um, they allow her to be spiky and a bit difficult to to. Um, again, all the characters seem to start off being quite spiky and dislikable and then kind of soften and become warmer as, as the kind of kindness uh, seeps through the village, and that's, I think, a really great thing about this.: um, I, I, But yeah, I... the finale is, is, is great fun. I, I love is,
2: I love Norm Macdonald in this. One. Yeah,
3: Norm Macdonald, uh, the sadly uh, now past Norm Macdonald is is really great in this and a really fun comedic character. In, yeah, in, and also that he introduces the world of Schmierensberg to Jasper. He is the entry point, and and yeah, he but, but understands. Even,
2: even he gets this like this heartbreaking moment.
3: Anchors away, Captain. We're sailing
5: off at once. Well, wow, that's a first. I beg your pardon.
2: Never saw a postman looking more
0: miserable leaving than on the day they came in. Oh, well, best leave it alone. I say, I'm sure it's nothing that could fester and eventually become a source of
2: resentment and regret. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like that that performance could only be given by the late great John McDonough. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The way he kind of pops in and out throughout the film, kind of like these snarky remarks and stuff like that, which... I don't know, I always think, like, this film could have easily have been co-opted by, like, the, the Happy Madison camp or something, do you know what <laughs> I mean? In some weird way. what a way. film that would have been. <laughs> yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, you meant, I don't know, Adam Sandler doing the voice of of Jesper or something like that. Hey, we're going to deliver some presents!
3: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Adam Sandler did a Christmas animated film. I've never seen it, but... Uh,
2: it's a Hanukkah. It's a fun. Hanukkah animated film. I'll, I'll, oh, I must apologise. Yeah, let's let's not get let's not let's not let's not start a a, a feud between religions. I think there's enough already, <laughs> uh, Russ. Uh, so yeah, the the, the 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 final act of this, I love that like chase and the, the fact that you you get that moment where the kind of rivaling children save one of them saves the other, and it's uh, yeah, it's. It, it's that moment that that Jesper like says to them that it is well yeah he, he, he says this to the, the crumb and the um oh what are they called
3: the Ellingbows. Ellingbows yeah
2: he says this to them yeah.
3: a true act of goodwill
0: always sparks another I think you hit your
5: head pretty hard, dear. You should lie back down.
0: You don't believe me? Turn around. What? Turn around. Mine. <gasps>
5: Pumpkin! Honey!
4: <laughs> Drop that immediately! <laughs>
5: Mine! Honey, what What's you Come back here right now! Down from there.
4: Ah!
2: Pumpkin! Oh! Put the down, sweetie. So, um. I, I feel like we'd be remiss not to mention the, the amazing score in this film, which is by um, Alonzo C Aguilera, which is like, it's doing everything right. Right. It's kind of got, this, yeah, like Yeah. It's it captures the thing of Christmas. It kind of at moments reminds me of like John Williams. It's kind of like it, it, it pushes all the right buttons and kind of like it, it, it does a lot of the kind of emotional heavy lifting certain mo- like in certain points and I don't know like like you mentioned about that needle drop making you cry it's like I think that I th- I think he could have pulled something out of the bag on the score yeah could have yeah just as much kind of like really I don't know, gave that emotional punch to it as well
3: no, and it's one of the. Like, I think everything in this film is is coalescing together, and all the components are really good. The way it looks and feels and sounds, and is edited, and everything just kind of seems to click together. But yeah, the score is beautiful. Uh, it's again spiky when it needs to be spiky. It, it creates tension when it needs to create tension. Like when we first meet Klaus, a lot of the tension comes through score and through how that's playing into the scene. Um. And the other thing I'll say about this this kind of chase is the way this world is constructed is that the natural world is almost overwhelming this very small village, and mm. so you get beautiful vistas, you get beautiful scenery around them, and this is like they're going through um, not a valley, is it a valley?
2: It's like, a, it's like a big old hill, isn't it? Like they go to old, a big old hill, there's a sled down race. Down a ravine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's
3: ravines, there's all this other stuff, and it's it's beautiful to look at, but it's also there's this feeling of danger, and the way the chase ends is that they basically the humans have gone too far, and now the world is starting to overwhelm them a bit, and so they have to stop before they go over a ravine. Um, and yeah, it's just this kind of little thing that's happening is that the natural world is basically close to consuming the world they're part of. And yeah. it's really interesting to watch that and have that as part of the beauty of the world. Um yeah, and I I love, I love this moment. I love the the sort of romance that's just kind of happens there. And it's kind of unifying these two families, this idea that on the basic level, if you find love and kindness, it's gonna solve your problems. Because the family's now gonna to have to work together. Definitely. Um, yeah. and again, there's another um, Play happening with the people like Jasper's been having his his kind of scheme, and now it turns out that Klaus and the rest of them have a scheme, which is that they're going to trick the two families into destroying the gifts, but they're not actually gifts; they're just you know, decoy gifts, and it's a decoy sled and all this other stuff. And it's great; it's a really great reveal that yeah. in fact this is all part of their plan. All part of their plan is that they'll have these toys destroyed, but they'll still be able to deliver it. So they'll still be able to be part of the myth of klaus which is that even if the parents try and stop him he's going to deliver the gifts
2: yeah yeah it's even if you even if your spirit is crushed your christmas spirit is gone you you, 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 you <laughs> you're still deserving of a gift from, from klaus yeah it's that's beautiful and I, I love the way that this this film kind of comes to a close of that kind of like um jesper kind of talking about the years that that, that, that come after it with the kind of like you see those beautiful moments between him and Klaus him kind of like knocking on his door like one of the years he's got a moustache and then <laughs> kind of like that exchange between them and then there's like, like absolutely again I, I'm not sure about you but like that kind of heartbreaking moment and Klaus kind of has that acceptance of death and like that's the thing this film tackles quite a lot of stuff like yeah. in regards to the like emotional beats and kind of things that yeah, having a kid you'll kinda of have to be a bit like Oh yeah, I'm gonna have to have a chat with you about uh,
3: that. What, at what what point do we include death in our story, guys? <laughs> at what point does that become something we should talk about? And and it's th- for a film about Christmas, there's very little supernatural in this film. It's all all about explaining it in sort of like a real world mm-hmm. while then maybe this element of the myth. It's actually this. So while the kids may see the, the sleigh and reindeer flying, what is is this moment? But the stuff with the spirit of his wife and uh, Klaus's final final moments are supernatural, and the film is willing to keep it kind of mysterious in that sense that it doesn't doesn't show him dying. He just sort of leaves. Yeah, and it's got and it just sort of goes.
2: It's got a kind of like like Norse mythology thing to it. Like even even the way like. Um, Klaus's axe looks it looks very kind of like Norse and do you know what I mean it looks very like kind yeah. of yeah it looks like it could be like Thor's uh, axe or whatever or something like that and it's got this yeah and that, that moment of him kind of like those wind chimes and then him just disappearing and Jesper saying like mm. a, nobody could find where he'd went nobody could find the body nobody and then the the, the way it closes out and this I just want to play, like, the the final line of the film because I think it's a a beautiful final line.
0: What I do know is that once a year, I get to see my friend.
2: And it is this thing that, that, that the, the legend then is alive, right? It's that the real yeah. man is kind of... Gone beyond the the mortal realm, and then the legend of Santa Claus is born, right? And it's look, that's it's beautiful. Like I I've done it. Like I I can't say enough. Like I I absolutely love this film, and I'm. I don't. Know, yeah, you can you can almost forgive Netflix for red notice if, <laughs> if if they've made this.
3: I mean, it's like with any studio. Any studio will make red notices, but. Um, I appreciate and yeah this is a great film this film is is exceptional and I I think I was like oh this film's really good when I first saw it and now I've watched it like 10 times maybe I'm a bit like no this film is 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 really great and I'm kind of like happy for Netflix to be figures in animation I think they're doing exciting things and I think they've got exciting things ahead I mean if you're giving me a new Henry Selleck I'm going to think what you're doing is a good thing. Yeah. I'm going to think that you're doing great things. And if you're working with Cartoon Saloon, I'm going to think you're great. And if you give a home, I think they've got a Leica coming out. And they recently had Armand's Robin Robin, which is wonderful. So yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. this film is, is great and it kind of leads to other greatness at Netflix. And if Netflix decide that animation is something they can do and they have decided that ne- animation is something they can do, And as animation sort of is kind of not in the cinema as much as it once was because of obvious, you know, pandemic reasons, but also studios have decided that they're not going to show as much animation in, in cinema, in cinemas. Hey, uh, Netflix can give me a thousand classes and I'd be happy.
2: Oh, yeah. 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 (laughs) Bring, bring it on. Like, and it's the, like. I know, it's. It, it's like, I, I love the fact that it's a, a one and done story. Like, do you, I mean, there is yeah. no, there's no sequelization to this. It's like anything else, and it's it, it, it has this lovely, beautiful message. And I, I, I really look forward to seeing what the director and his kind of team do next as well. Because I don't know with this kind of like, I, I, I often think like the fact that he's got like uh, fingers in the pies at um, Illumination. It's like. I'm so glad this wasn't an illumination film that he kind of got <laughs> to got to hark back to classic Disney kind of like uh years gone by, kind of got to do something new and it it is almost like I dunno, it's it's that thing like what um Sony did with um Spider Man into the Spider Verse where it's like, Oh, we're just gonna we're gonna push what animation can be. You yeah get what I mean and Klaus does it a lot more subtly. Then Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse because that kind of like literally like ripped up the rule book, kind of did things. Do you know what I mean? Like, went we're gonna yeah. we're we're gonna we're gonna do things that have never been done in animation. We're kind of gonna like give you a film that has no right to be as good as it is. We're gonna literally have every other studio going. How the fuck did they make that? But like, uh yeah. I mean,
3: it's so good. I assume that that's what. The new spot. I haven't seen the new Spider Man, but I assume it's going to be close to a spiritual remake of Into the Spider Verse. Oh, as you yeah. You can get. I assume that's what it's going to end up being. So last, and week, yeah, and like yeah, last the Illumination week. point, I I watch them. I watch them fairly often. I'm unlikely ever to properly cover them on my podcast, honestly, because I have nothing interesting to say about them. And they are the state of animation that is separate to the interesting stuff like Klaus, Wolfwalkers, uh, Missing Link, any other animated studio. They're clean animations, they're sleek, shiny animations, but they're not like, as you say, Klaus kind of, uh, if it doesn't rewrite the rule book, is bending the rules of what animation is. Mm mm-hmm and so many of its peers some the best examples of our time are there that illumination isn't that but i i respect them for being able to release films that are fine and make like 500 600 million dollars because it's what animation needs to exist yeah,
2: yeah exactly 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 <laughs> I, I yeah i think if animate if illumination didn't do what they did we might not have a clout, you know? yeah,
3: we yeah, we yeah, yeah entirely yeah yeah
2: yeah i'm sure i'm sure if um yeah Sergio didn't have that kind of uh experience t- t- yeah and that tick next to his name of being the yeah. co creator of despicable me maybe Studios wouldn't taken him as seriously being like i'm gonna do something that's classic Disney with this kind of new a i we've been working on to kind of create this kind of hybrid two d three d animation that is <laughs> that is that is beautiful so yeah. um I like to round off these episodes and uh with a few questions, but before we get to them. I always like to ask my guests, um, could they find any Coppola connections within this film? Are there people who are in this film hall or worked on this film that appear elsewhere in the collective Coppola filmography?
3: Uh, the most immediate one is Rashida Jones. She was in Sophia Coppola's last film, wasn't she? Uh,
2: yes, On the Rocks.
3: On the Rocks, yeah. So she popped up in that uh, Obviously, our Schwartzman is in many, many. Yeah, 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 he he he's the Coppola. We don't need. To, he's don't he's need the to... Coppola connection. Um, well, in terms of other stuff, I mean, I'm not sure about Joan Cusack. Uh, so but yeah,
2: Joan Cusack is in Mr. Wrong, which uh, John Schwartzman was the DOP on. Norm Macdonald <laughs> is in Funny People, which Jason Schwartzman appears in. As uh, yeah, Seth Rogen's uh, annoying I like, roommate. I quite like Funny People. It's, I, I love mean, it. I, yeah, I love it. I love it. And a big shout out to to, to one of my favorite podcasts, uh, Truly Happily Madison, covering every <laughs> yeah. film by the uh, yeah Happy Madison uh, stable. Uh, yeah, I know that Jack Gregson over there is a massive, massive fan of Funny People, and I I, I agree with him. Uh, on the point of Rashida Jones, she is not only in on the rocks. She is in a very Murray Christmas, which is also directed by Sophia Coppola, and she is in Between Two Ferns, the movie, and Neo Yokio, the uh, I think another like Netflix animated series, or at least has been like um, I don't know released by them. And Jason Schwartzman is also in that show, and uh, Will Sasso appears in Army of One alongside Nicolas Cage. <laughs> <laughs> so when it comes to scoring these films we do it a bit differently to star ratings i always ask my guests what would be the perfect wine pairing for this film obviously we've talked about the coppola's loving a bit of the uh the uh the, the grape juice
3: so i would say that it would be either a nice ice wine because it's uh house can only exist because it takes place in an icy climate and that's how you create ice wine or it's a nice chocolate wine because i like a good chocolate wine at christmas so this is it's either one of those two maybe have one after the other my like my wine sweet so i'm a man who like dessert wine i like ice wine because ice wine is very sweet the process of making ice wine makes it particularly sweet um and so i think there's a sweetness to this film that kind of fits
2: I think this is like got there's a there's a certain name for it. I should have looked it up beforehand, but there's like a German wine that's like a kind of very sweet, almost like syrupy wine. And I feel like this film is a bit of that. It's like a kind of red wine, but like because it's got that like bitterness of the the, the 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 town and the village, and it's kind of got this serious undertones to it but also that sweetness of being an animated film yeah. and stuff like that so and, and its
3: message in the end is quite sweet so yeah. yeah and and i think it's got kind of like
2: germanic or at least kind of eastern european like roots in the kind of storytelling <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that so i think i think that 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 brings it all together so um when you're buying this wine aka this film is it <laughs> bottom shelf middle shelf or top shelf wine
3: so I would say that this is a middle shelf wine. I think this is under £20, but you'd enjoy drinking it. And I say this because I think like top shelf is like uh, like a masterpiece, like a godfather is a top shelf. Whereas this is like the higher end of the middle shelf. I would, £20 is a lot of money for me to spend on wine, <laughs> but I'd spend it on this. Um, yeah. So while I love this film, while I think it's borderline a masterpiece, it's not quite the godfather it's not quite that level for me Mm -hmm. so that's why for me it's it's sort of upper middle
2: perfect perfect that's that's a that's a perfectly fair answer for that so (laughs) let's move on to some um i don't uh i like to think of them as almost impossible questions to answer the first one of which being which Coppola member, uh, family member would you keep? But in doing so, you get rid of the filmographies of the entire rest of the family.
3: That's sort of a Thanos uh, click of my finger and yeah, yeah. they turn to dust. Um, so is it that I get to keep their entire filmography or that I get to keep um, just the bits that you're covering?
2: You get to keep their entire filmography. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Hmm. So I am torn between uh, Jason's filmography because it means I get to keep Wes Anderson's stuff and, and even a Wes Anderson film that I don't love, I think should exist. Or it could be Spike Jones because I think his films are fascinating and uh, represent their time so interestingly. It feels sacrilegious for it not to be Francis because at his best, he's, he's remarkable, but at his not best, He's Jack and, and I
4: <laughs> stand
3: to not see Jack again. And I've never quite warmed to a, a Sophia Coppola film. I think she's really great as a director, but I just kind of have a distance to them. I can understand and, that. And um, if I can snap the Wicker Man remake out of existence, that would be something. But I do lose Pig and Pig is one of the great films of the year. But it's probably going to be... No, it's Jason. I'm going to go with Jason. I'm going to stick with Jason. As much as I love Spike Jones's stuff, it's going to be Jason's filmography is going to stay because then I get to keep Scott Pilgrim and this film. and um, yeah, Pretty much so every Wes
2: Anderson film.
3: And everywhere's Anderson. And, and I, I get it. Yeah, all of them.
2: Perfect. And Perfect. I get that one
3: amazing Moonrise Kingdom shot, which is him talking in the foreground. And kids and the trampoline behind him. Uh, yeah, and one of my favourite shots.
2: Um, yeah, like I, I, I think Jason's a good shout because you get you get a lot of other stuff as well. You obviously get his contribution to Phantom Planet. You get his contribution to TV, whether it's bored to death or Mozart in the Jungle. Like, I look at Jason Schwartzman and often think like he might be the most productive like (laughs) in regards to how much screen time he's had. Like, yeah, Nick may have put out more films, but Nick has only put out films where Jason has kind of like done web series. He's done like TV series. He's kind of like been here, there and everywhere. And has got like a, a filmography, like just his kind of films that he's put out. He's kind of, Really chasing at Nick's, Nick's hills in that regard, like of kind of and like him.
3: I think other couplers have had brighter moments in the sun. So like they've been Oscar winners or Oscar nominated, but I think Jason is fairly consistent and he's been fairly consistent for decades now. That the stuff he chooses is good, and he's just part of a really good ensemble in most of them.
2: And I think his time is yet to come. Do you know what I mean? In regards to like. He could be a serious, I reckon like you don't know. Do you know what I mean like he's what? He's gotta be forties, like even though he looks <laughs> he looks like he's in his twenties still. <laughs> but like you just imagine like a kind of, I don't know, like fifties like uh Jason Swartzman, or just kind of like that that kind of thing of when he gets to a point when, I don't know. Wes Anderson's decided that I'm going to take a few years off or like the kind of usual collaborators he works with decide to take some time off. And he's like, "Yeah, you know what? I'm going to try and do something that's not in my wheelhouse and do like a big dramatic role or something like that. Like, I don't know, Steve Carell in that, 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 that wrestling movie he was in, Foxcatcher. Foxcatcher. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Ca- yeah. He could do a Steve Carell. <laughs> I yeah. quite like Steve Carell, yeah.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like that kind of that kind of thing. That yeah, that yeah, of...
3: like a, a bit more showy, a bit more. Um, give me an playing award, Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. That like kind of like I've got a prosthetic on my nose. Give me an award, please. <laughs> 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 so, um, based on this film alone, are the Copulas the greatest film family of all time?
3: Oh, based on this film, um.
4: No, no,
3: no. I'm trying to think of other families that are better. Um, I think that this is a fantastic film. I think Jason is great in it, but I don't think that it's a fantastic film because he's in it. Okay. I think if if he wasn't in it, I'd still love this film. Um. So I don't think this is a an advert for the Coppola family. (laughs) <laughs> I think it's an advert for, you know, the production company and for Netflix making animations. Um, yeah, I think one of the more showy examples, one of the more di- a directorial effort from one of them is probably the one that would be the thing to say, this is the greatest family of all time. Maybe not Godfather part three, even though it contains a lot of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, I, I think it would have to be something directed by one of them.
2: Okay, okay, okay. All, all, all right, Russ, you're going, on, you're going on the naughty list for that answer. <laughs> but it's okay, it's okay. Um, so let's get on to possibly the most important question of this podcast. You've obviously um, let us know that you don't quite gel with Sophia Coppola, but you did study Austin Translation. At university, so you may have an inside track to answering this question, which is, what does Bill Murray say to Scarlett Johansson at the end? Lost in translation.
3: So my theory with this is that uh, it was trying to become like the Before trilogy, so they're kind of like the same characters meeting up every couple of decades. So I think he says, "Let's meet here in twenty years." And Perfect. so, in two years' time, we're going to get lost in translation to electric boogaloo or whatever they call it. Um, I think it's him saying, "Let's meet here at a certain point in time." Perfect. Uh, yeah, and we're gonna get a sequel.
2: I hope that the sequel's called like "Speaking in Tongues" or something, <laughs> just because it's a one. It's a reference to like uh, one of my 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 favorite Talking Heads album, and I imagine like Sophia would probably like think that's a cool like reference to make and yeah that sounds great i would love that to be a thing especially yeah like, no
3: I, I i think it's that i don't think it'd,
2: like i'd be worried though that if it's a 20 year gap it wouldn't be a trilogy it may just be a twofer because <laughs> i'm not sure if bill murray uh, god got i love him but i don't i'm not sure if he's got 20 years left in him after, no no after probably because it was
3: 20 years ago in like two years time so is he gonna be around in twenty-two years? I don't know, don't know. It depends how much healthcare the Garfield money's got him, like Exactly. If he's got like <laughs> amazing healthcare, he'll be fine.
2: <laughs> all that all that leisurely playing golf has really has really like <laughs> put him zen and his ticker is working A OK. Not not all the cocaine he did in the eighties when he was on
3: SNL. <laughs> and, and oh that's good for you. Gun. That's no eighties cocaine is is healthy cocaine
2: yeah yeah it's before it was all cut with all this horrible pesticides and horrible (laughs) stuff that they're giving to people these days well on that kind of uh white christmas note uh (laughs) where can people keep up to date with everything you're doing with the podcast or or you you write as well right you write for moving pictures uh film club
3: Uh, yeah moving pictures film club so i uh, I write for a couple of places. I write for where I work. I write for moving pictures film club and I pop up occasionally on other websites, but you can find my podcast wherever you're listening to this. It's called not just for kids. Uh, there, there's many fabulous episodes. I got on fabulous guests. I love all my guests who come on. You, you're coming on again. <laughs> yep. Uh, next series to talk about, uh, yeah, you're going to talk about a really great musical, which I've now watched. And I was like, this is a great film. <laughs> <laughs> um, bonkers film but great <laughs> um yeah no so if, if you want to listen to me warble on about film some more uh, and i kind of picked clouds because it's within my wheelhouse uh then find me there on twitter it's adults2pod and it's also out on instagram and my personal one is Russ Loves Movies, and it's mostly me fighting the urge to retweet funny things about succession because i don't want to spoil the finale for people who've not watched it and occasionally there's some uh, funny politics stuff retweeted. The Conservatives give you a lot of comedy gold <laughs> whilst they're destroying this country. <laughs> and yeah, and I, and, I, and I post any link to any podcasts I go on or any uh, things I write.
2: Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Russ, for coming and making some coping connections with me.
3: Know, thank you so much for having me. This is being really great fun. Oh, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas!
2: Oh, wasn't that a lovely Christmas gift of an episode, guys? Russell is such a lovely person to chat to. And I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as I had having that conversation. Um, hopefully, like most Christmases, I didn't get too drunk and make a fool of myself. But if I did, please don't hesitate to uh, let me know. You can do so on all the socials. So that is Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and Letterboxd at Pod. Or you can head on over and send me an email. You kind of feel concerned about me. You really wanna you really wanna have a quiet word in my ear, feel free to do so, which is cage pod at gmail.com. So next week on the podcast, obviously we'll all be we'll be full of food, hungover after Christmas, feeling all a bit grotty and horrible. So we're gonna wallow in that grottiness and horribleness, and we're gonna talk about 50 shades darker that's right baby Charlie Vero Martin is back with me to dive deeper into the 50 shades franchise and um, does it get better does it get worse well you'll have to listen next week to find out I know in the lead up to Christmas I've been doing this little uh, shout outs to other podcasts podcasts should be listening to little nice little wrapped up gifts of podcasts that you should be checking out this week, seen as, as, as it is Christmas, I just thought I'd shout out uh, a load of podcasts that I absolutely love, listen to week in, week out, so let's just go. spotlight. love them. Uh, Liam and Matt have been on the podcast, What Paul's going to be on the podcast at some point. Is Paul Dano okay? Again, Matt, yes. Daryl, yes. Love everything they are doing. They get some of the best guests out there truly happily madison uh it is an absolute tour de force of podcasting going to the weird and wonderful places of the films of adam sandler's production company and oh boy what a absolute joy rambling amblin obviously we had uh, andrew godion on the other week but yeah check those guys out because uh again they're doing something that's amazing pizza your mind uh, two of my best friends making one of the best podcasts that's out there the damn daniel podcast uh, a comedy podcast from comedian Danny McLaughlin, uh, Rob Moore Holland and previous guest Molly McGuinness is an absolute treat and uh yeah get involved with that one cuz it's, it's it's dead funny like um apart from that I'm trying to think of i am to figure some of the small ones easy riders rage of podcast absolutely love easy riders Ranger podcast again uh, a podcast so graciously had me on recently to talk about for the dark world nobody else wanted to talk about it so i went and talked about it it was tons of fun piecing it together podcast it's fantastic again yeah i'm, I'm now I'm just talking about ones that i was on uh but yeah piece it together uh obviously mentioned last week w rated those guys are due a comeback in the new year uh, the church of tarantino uh, my good friend scott from the uh, "You Can't Put Nick in a Cage" podcast has come back with a, a brand new podcast. They stopped the Cage podcast. They started up a uh, "Movies to Watch Before You Die" podcast, and oh, watch this movie, watch this, uh, watch this movie or die. Uh, and now, 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 yeah, he can't. Uh, the he's not carrying on with that because Matt, Matt can't do it. Either way, uh, yeah, the Church of Tarantino. It's going to be a fantastic podcast that launches next year. So. Yeah, there's no, I'm giving you, I'm giving you hot scoops on podcasts that aren't even out yet, guys. Enough with, with with me rambling on about podcasts I really enjoy and podcasts you should be listening to. So, if you enjoy this podcast and would like to support it in any way, you can head on over to www ko-fi.com forward slash caged in pod where you can buy me a little digital cup of coffee and yeah that will really help keep the lights on over here at caged in towers or if you want a little bit more commitment with your money given to this podcast you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash caged in pod where you can sign up for as little as three dollars or two pound fifty and get access to a brand new podcast which is launching january where two episodes a month you'll be able to hear the uh sister podcast of this podcast or the somewhat stealth sequel podcast of this podcast movie brat bros where i'll be talking to some amazing guests all about the films of francis ford coppola's uh peers and we're starting off with season one Talking about Brian De Palma, and the first two episodes are recorded. They're in the bank and they are ready to go, and they are on. Phantom of the Paradise from 1974 with Daryl and Jeanette Bar Bear. what did I say? Bar Je- Daryl and Jeanette Bear, and it's a fantastic episode. And episode two will be on Mission Impossible with the fantastic, lovely, 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 Nathaniel Metcalf. That was a another great chat so yeah head on over there You'd like you get two extra podcasts um for what two pound fifty so yeah do it do it treat yourself it's christmas guys treat yourself you, you're hung over enjoy this enjoy enjoy everything and if you would like to support this podcast and don't want to give me any money you can head on over to apple podcast cast or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now even spotify i've noticed they've started doing rating and reviews leave a five star rating and a glowing review of this podcast if you like one episode if you liked all of them it really does help this podcast grow in the charts and get more ears on it I know every podcast tells you that but it really does and there's so many podcasts made by massive companies and massive names so yeah us small guys really need that help we don't have any marketing budget so I'll speak for myself there I have no marketing budget and even if I did, I, I wouldn't know where to, where to spend it anyway and wh- what do. And, and I like the fact that this is a kind of weird grassroots thing and it's, it's, yes, yeah, it's it's, a, it's just a little tight club. So, yeah, uh, do all of that. And most importantly, guys, have a very Merry Christmas. I know this time of year can be a very uh, lonely one for some people and always remember that as much as I am uh, the Coppola guy, the, the... Nicholas cage guy i'm also a human being so if you ever need anyone to talk to as i said that the the, the email address the social media is all there uh, yeah if you're feeling lonely this christmas reach out to me let's have a chat i'm, I'm here for you guys i i care about you guys because you care about this podcast and i'll care about you anyway because you're human beings and we're all here on this planet suffering or having joy together so let's have joy suffer together um yeah again have a very merry christmas and i'll catch you next week to wish you a very happy new year so as always i have been your host petros patsyvis your guide through the crazy world of the Copeland family so remember to make sure you ring the battle bell when you want to go rooting and tooting and fighting and i'll catch you next week
0: It's family.